People have gathered around ideas since the beginning of time, each successful collaboration pushing innovation forward, building a stronger future. Motorist Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have combined decades of experience to create an even better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders, encircling businesses and individuals with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Do I have everybody's attention now? Just thinking about this match, and I'm standing and pacing in my bed. He's just Mikazi now. He's not okay, so so Mikazi. He's not a kid anymore. He's, he's, he's a boy. He's a man. He's a man. Mikazi. Are you ready? He got PWS superstar Brian Buck, <laughs> and he just got into that. In go Bernalis. In Bernalis. In go Nerablis. And Dustin Look at that! He's falling down! He's back! A man of a thousand holes! You're missing a B there, but that's. There's a B? This is what I'm talking about. These letters don't go together. <laughs> we got the world champion! Oh, you're having a wank, are you? And it's like, no! You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. <laughs> who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, the, in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Joe, stop yelling at me. I agree. A proud member of the Audio Boom family of podcasts and now available to 93 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, you are listening to the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast. I am internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist as heard on BBC Radio, the most compelling voice in wrestling media, the king of banter, Joe Lanza. There is no Rich Krejci this week. In fact, there is no Rich Krejci for the next three weeks. This man is taking his belated honeymoon. It seems like he got married about 10 years ago, but uh, he's taking his honeymoon now. And he will be in Italy for the next three weeks with the nurse. A three-week vacation to Italy. Look, we all know that Rich cooks the books around here, but now we know where the money is going. He's going to be bouncing around Italy, visiting the uh, Leading Tower of Pisa and uh, the Roman Coliseum. And he's uh, leaving me here to die. But I have a plan. Instead of taking you on three Lanza solo adventures, which I am sometimes apt to do, 
I have decided to bring in three co-hosts, not guests. Guests get interviewed. Guests come in and it's uncomfortable. No, no. I'm bringing in co-hosts. This show is not going to change. I'm simply bringing in people to sit in Rich's chair, and you are going to get the same no-holds-barred, in-your-face analysis that you would get whether Rich is here, but you're going to get it with three co-hosts that I have very carefully chosen. And this week's co-host is a man that I'm sure most of you are familiar with. This guy is an OG. This guy, this guy's been doing podcasts since before they were called podcasts. Okay, what I who I have for you today is the co-host of Wrestling Observer Live on SiriusXM Radio, and also the co-host of Big Audio Nightmare, which has been around since what 2006, Mike. Oh my God! Yeah, I think something like it. 2005, 2006. When the start? Yeah, 2006, I believe we started. I've got this guy answering questions before I introduce him. Mm. Mike Sempervivi is here. Mike, I don't think these things were called podcasts when you started it. What What did you call your show when you started it some 12 years ago? Uh, we lamely called it a radio show, which people were assured of you. Well, it's not a radio show. It's not on the radio. You're on the internet, and and that was before podcasting. There was us there was uh whatever remnants came from iata they got scattered about everywhere and i'm I'm sure there were a couple other things too but uh there weren't podcasts as we know them uh at least certainly not the amount of them but yeah that was a long way for you to get around saying i'm old basically in that intro and what kind of name is kreich anyway why is he going to the motherland and i'm here doing a show with you listen that's the thing we're two paisans over here Okay, really? Lanza and Sempervivi are stuck doing this show, and and Kreich, a German, is bouncing around Japan, uh, uh, bouncing around Japan, bouncing around Italy. <laughs> we're we're going to bounce around Japan. This is going to be a a New Japan heavy show today. But yeah, Kreich, the German, is uh, going to be bouncing around Italy, and yeah, uh, the two Italian guys. And as we discussed before the show, I did not know this. Sempervivi is a Jersey guy too. Uh, through a loophole, okay, he may have never lived in Jersey, but his family's from Jersey, and uh, he spent a lot of time in Jersey as a kid. I did not know that. you got two Jersey Italians here on the show. This is way too much chest hair for people to handle. Can you believe it? It's, it, it's feeling a little bit greasy. Uh, we're about to just stop this show and go on vacation to, to Asbury Park and to Wildwood in, in Atlantic City. Um, but, but yeah, and that's, you know, some of it that's people are like, how can you grow up in DC? And we see you're like a Wizards fan, but all this, like, where did all this come with the Rangers and the Knicks and everything? And it's like my entire family, when we would go for holidays and stuff like that for years and years and years, we would go up to New Jersey and I, you know, developed an affinity for those teams. And when like Patrick Ewing was drafted out of Georgetown, that was all the excuse I needed to become a Knicks fan for a, a long, long period of time. The Rangers, which I'm still a fan of to this day, uh, kind of stemmed from that as well, too. So, yeah, that, that's pretty much how that one goes. So I like to be disappointed in plenty of sports. So I'm glad I got to live through the, the, the Knicks era uh, losing to the Bulls. I, I love that, uh, although, although I still love Charles Oakley. So Yeah, man, that was the uh, those were those Pat Riley teams, Pat Ewing, Charles Oakley, Anthony Mason. Yes. Uh, oh, my God. And for as much as we all love John Starks, we all hate John Starks. I, I, maybe my most hated athlete of all time. Can't stand yeah. that. 
I, I love it's like Patrick, I, Pat Riley. You, it, none of which, none of the thing that would have happened, and I probably, obviously, would have loved the the ring, but I wouldn't have traded those teams because if you lived through those teams and were a fan of them, you love them so much. But it's like Pat, don't let John keep shooting. You would never have let this happen somewhere else. Don't let John keep shooting. He let John keep shooting. He let John keep. Where was Rolando Blackman when you needed him? Yes. I'm telling you. <laughs> where was Rolando? We're showing our age here. Yeah, really. Let Greg Anthony shoot the three. We don't need John to do it every time. I'm going to pretend I was a child in those days, but really I was like pretty much an adult by the time those teams were uh, were going at it. But uh, I always try to shave a few years off the – I always try to – you know, I use my Tinder age on the show because, you know, the that's, Tinder yeah. age, you got to shave a few years. <laughs> you know, that's – I try to present myself with the Tinder age on the show, but I'm definitely not – you know, I, I, I have vivid memories of those Knicks teams. And, and, and Mike, I don't want to scare you. That's like almost 25 years ago now that that team came together. So. Well, that's yeah. You got to be careful when you're talking about wrestling when you get too excited about talking about like you know you were in college and you got fucked up during the Monday Night Wars and you were having a great time on a Monday. You get people looking at you. It's like, well, I watch a lot of the network. I've heard these things happen. I've heard of nitro parties and and such. But I I didn't really live through that. You know, I just, you know I came around during Cena. You know, you want to go out. We've got <laughs> we've got people writing for our site who weren't even born when WCW existed. I mean, it's just it's just madness. Meanwhile, it's crazy. Meanwhile, every now and then I'll slip up and you know I'll, I'll recall the crazy days waking up on Saturday morning to watch the Allentown tapings. You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, yeah, it, it definitely uh, shows the age a bit. But yeah, this, and it's hard. We've gone through so many changes. We've got because we lived through. We had the Hulkamania one. We had. You know, the the decline of that, and then we had the rise of the the uh, Attitude Era, which everything is kind of centered on to this day. When we were kids, it was like WrestleMania, nothing happened before that. Now to these kids, nothing happened before the Attitude Era. But then we had the third boom period with Cena, where a lot of kids and a lot of people listening were then born then. And it's like, they've got no clue. And it's like, we've been so used to talking about stuff like growing up and watching syndicated wrestling and stuff like that, like... <laughs> there have been two periods after that where things have blown up, and it's it's just amazing. I, it's amazing how old I am, but it's like one of those things, too, where you, at least me, you have to accept where you at. You have to accept your oldness, and you have to accept a lot of new ideas and a lot of people who are looking at things completely different than how you're looking at them, and you may not agree with them. And believe me, I don't agree with a lot of the stuff, but with that said – you have got to be progressive enough to know that this is the way that evolution has taken us. And again, these kids don't know. It's like the, the rappers today, which drive me nuts, like the, your little Uzi verts and your yachties and people like that. Shit, fucking I don't understand this shit. I grew up with boom bap type shit, so I don't get it. But that's – look, if you are moving a crowd, if that's – look, there is – there, this is sometimes evolution is not pretty, but, but it's the way it goes, and you have to try to help navigate, or you need to get out of the way. One of the things we like to do with the site is we embrace those younger voices, because you know what what I find is you can learn just as much from them as they can learn from you, because they they yeah. because they haven't seen the same things you have, and they haven't experienced the same wrestling you have, and they do see it from a different perspective. And you're absolutely right. I talk about it on this show all the time. The last thing you ever want is to have your feet in cement 
like Jim Cornette or one of these guys where they just they, – they're, they're stuck in time. They're frozen in their own period, and they're not willing to evolve with wrestling. And I, I – it is it, – it, it's something that I always preach to, to this audience. I never want to find myself in that position. I constantly want to evolve. We don't spend a lot of time talking about older wrestling on this show, not because I don't respect it or I don't enjoy it. I watch the network as much as the next guy. I watch my old tapes as much as the next guy. But you constantly want to stay fresh and you constantly want to keep up with it. And that's and that's why we try to bring a bunch of different voices in. It's called Voices of Wrestling for a reason. So, yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying. And, you know, you some, and the feast thing, on those people. It's like the vampires, like the blood of like the newborns. You want to stay alive. You want to keep going. You got to feast off the youth because how else do you keep moving? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes because he's so knowledgeable about wrestling, I forget that Rich is only 30, you know, because yeah. he, he, you know, he, he, he only started his fandom and he's a 90s guy, you know, like he's an attitude era guy. And I forget that sometimes. And I'll make, you know, some wacky 80s reference to the killer bees or, you know, you know, you know. Tito Santana when he was like the number three baby face in WWF and he and I forget that he has no concept what I'm talking about because he wasn't born yet and it's kind of scary <laughs> but, but but yeah well, but, I mean even like names like I mean like Adam Summers and Bix and and Chris Zellner it's like I bet you I bet you if you asked if you just said ask random people how old do you think these guys are I bet you people who think they're a lot older than what they are but it's like that that kind of from our age group and back a little bit, and it's different for everybody too. I'm not questioning anybody's passion, but you, you do see a it, there's a almost a, there's a different kind of passion because you're coming out of that syndicated era and the multiple channels in different ways. I mean, there's a passion there that is unique. I'm not saying it's more or less than anybody else's, but it's a unique one that I think again, and we're not going to I'm sure talk about this, but like going forward. It's a little nerve wracking as a hardcore wrestling fan and as a historian and somebody that appreciates a lot of this stuff like moving forward. It's like, is the passion going to be there? And if it is, is the the emphasis on history and where things came from? It will be interesting to see where things turn. Yeah, for sure. I heard you throw Zellner in there. Don't let him fool you. He might, we might have a couple years on Zellner, but he's no millennial. Okay, he's well, that- <laughs> he's, he's right. There. He's he's barely behind. I'm pretty sure he was born in the 70s. Okay? Yeah, but so- I think if people if people look at his show and his writings and see how long he's been around and everything, it's like it's like J. Michael Kenyon. It's like J. Michael Kenyon, I believe, is 900 years old. Yoe, 9,000 years old. Carl Stern, nine billion years old. You know, so Zellner's only got to be like, you know, when you look at that scale, he's like six million. I don't know. It's like a Paleozoic thing with him. No, you're right, though. With, with all the knowledge he brings, that man is just a fountain of knowledge. So with the knowledge he brings to the table, uh, he, he does. You're right, though. He comes off a lot older than he really is. Look, look, man, I'm just trying to come off younger than I really am. That's my goal. And that is my <laughs> end game. And that's what I'm struggling to do. So you get that. I, I'm broken. I am. I'm, I'm Matt Hardy broken at this point. The only thing I don't want is like my hair to thin out or anything. I want the full head of gray hair. I want to have the Bischoff, the John Forsyth, where it's like the Jay Peterman. Like, that's an incredible head of gray hair. Like, that's all I'm looking for at this point. Otherwise, I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to wear my Adidas tracksuit, my Kango. I have a 22-ounce Miller High Life, and I'm going to sit in a lawn chair and just call everybody young man that passes by. Like, get off my own. Come here, young man. Let me talk to you. Let me tell you about syndicated wrestling. You know, that that's all I'm going to be at this point. That's because you have a family 
and a, and a, and a nice support system. I'm still a swinging bachelor, my friend. Okay, so I'm, <laughs> I'm fighting all that stuff off. Okay, I, I listen. And the problem is, like the grays that are starting to creep in for me, they're all coming in on the sides. If I let them get out of control, I'm gonna look like Pauly Walnuts. Okay, That's I'm gonna, have, I'm, gonna oh, I'm gonna be a pinky ring and a Cadillac <laughs> Eldorado away from being Pauly Walnuts. And listen, that, that once I turn 50, I think I'm going to let, let all that go, but I'm way too young to be Pauly Walnuts, okay? You said tracksuit and you scared the hell out of me. <laughs> well, see, you know what? If, you, if, if you're going to let it go at 50, you got to go all out, too. You got to, like, just for no reason get a Camaro with T-tops and just, like, just I don't even know if they still make T-tops anymore, but you got to just go full out at that point and oh, just that's not a whole, care. See, that's a whole other direction. I was thinking track suits and suits for no reason, like ties and suits and ties for no reason. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah like the it, pinky ring everywhere, even yes. if you're going to, like, Safeway or something. It's like, you know, you're going to pick up lettuce. It's like you got to flash the pinky ring and, like, bang it on the counter. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. Without qu- Let me tell you something. The supermarket is a great place to meet women. I know that's, like – this stereotype sort of thing, but it's true. Got to eat. I, I have a theory. If you're in the supermarket past 10 PM and there's a woman roaming around, chances are she's single because you know, why else? Why would a married woman be in a supermarket at two o'clock in the morning? It just doesn't happen. You know, unless she's wearing scrubs, you always have the medical people. You got to watch out for that. But I'm telling you, I've met many women that look, it doesn't go anywhere. I'm still single for a reason, but I've met many women <laughs> in the supermarket. It's, 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 uh, you know, it, it, it seems a uh, cliche, but it, this has gone off. The, listen, this, we didn't even, this took like two minutes to get off the rails, which even beats my previous record. So uh, <laughs> I have no idea what we're doing here. I should tell people this is going to be a New Japan heavy show today. There, listen, there was there was a method to my madness. The reason I brought on Semper Vivi is because he's been breaking down New Japan, like we said, on airwaves uh, through the 56K since about 2005. So there was no better person to bring on after a huge New Japan show, Sakura Genesis, than Mike Semper Vivi to break that all down. And then we'll take a a look forward at the wrestling Dantaku card and some of the stuff uh, from the upcoming tour. And uh, I'm sure this thing will go off the rails like crazy again at some point as well. But this will be a New Japan heavy show. But before we get into New Japan, Mike, I got to tell you all about Dollar Shave Club. Buying a razor is a lot like buying a car. To get a smooth, luxury quality, you have to pay a huge price, and you're mostly paying for splashy marketing and features that you don't actually need. That's why I, Joe Lanza, shave with DollarShaveClub.com. It's the smarter choice, luxury quality at an economy price. Dollar Shave Club's razors are amazing quality. They've got the shave tech that I actually need and none of the overpriced gimmicks that I never use. I just saw an ad for Razor Monopoly's newest razor. Have you seen this thing, Mike? It's got like 24 blades on it, a swivel pivot robo razor with a laser pointer. Look, this stuff is ridiculous. You don't need it. Every year, they make the tiniest change to these razors, and then they try to convince us that it's totally new, and we need to spend twice as more on them. I'm done with that, and I'm done with that thanks to Dollar Shave Club. I get the executive package. It's a tremendous razor. It comes with the shave butter. It gives me a, cl- a, a, a clean, close shave every single time. And if you haven't tried Dollar Shave Club for yourself yet, you're missing out. There's never been a better time to give them a shot. Right now, you can get your first month of any of their razors for only a dollar, and that in, that's including free shipping. One dollar. After that, it's just a few bucks a month. There's no long-term commitment. There's no hidden fees. You can cancel whenever you want. You get your first month free for just a dollar 
at dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. So Sakura Genesis. Uh, first, I guess, overall thoughts on the show before we go match by match. Um, I thought it was an excellent show. What did you think, Mike? I thought it was great. I, I really did. I thought it was excellent as well. Um, one of the, the shows of the year. Uh, in some ways, it, it, I don't want to say it was a perfect show or anything like that, but as far as the the build as you went along the thing, there were some surprises. There were some things that you had expected. Uh, they moved everything, all the stories coming out of the show, things you knew where they were going or you knew that they had a, at least a plan to develop things going forward. So I thought it was great. I thought you can't have a, a show that's got that kind of main event at the end of it and, and not have it be a great card. I mean, you really got to tank the rest of the thing to not come out of there with some some happy feelings. And, I mean, there was a lot of good stuff. You got a, a tag title change. You got a real surprise with a, a, a Leger-esque callback surprise in some ways to the, in the Takahashi uh, Kushida match. You got a development moving forward with Minoru Suzuki and Goto, both of those guys were kind of up in the air uh, as far as where they'd be going going forward. It's with themselves, so that's perfect. And, you know, the main event was a five-star. It was a classic. It was an example of why uh, Kazuchika Okada is truly one of the best wrestlers in the world, and he is settling in, whether you like it or not, at looking, as it stands right now, uh, to develop and blossom into truly being an all-time great, somebody you're going to be able to put on a list, no matter where you may put him on that list, that's going to be up to you, but he belongs on a list. And uh, Katsuyori Shibata belongs on everybody's list as far as being one of the best professional wrestlers in the world. Um, if he hasn't proven it this year with matches that he's had with, with your Ospreys and things like that, I mean, I think everybody that's been a Shibata fan or has followed Japanese wrestling, they, they kind of know it. I think for everybody else this year, it's probably... He's putting an exclamation point on the, the sentence, I would say. Let's start at the top, and let's start with that match, and let's start with Shibata. Uh, personally, I you know I did the review for this show on, on VoiceOfWrestling.com. I called this the most complete Katsuyori Shibata performance of his career, and it's funny because recently I went back and rewatched all of that Big Mouth Loud stuff. Uh, when of course oh, the they, Adam Summer special, yeah. Yeah, and they, you know, the, they tried to build that promotion around them, and um, we all know it didn't work out. UI um, Station, yeah, that's... Uh, oh. Yeah, so I, I went. I recently rewatched all of that stuff, and obviously, um, just from covering this site, you know, we, we started this podcast in this site in 2012, right when the Kadani slash Okada era began, so I've obviously seen I, probably 99.9% .9 of his matches that have made tape since uh, since he returned to New Japan, and then you know um, from whatever I remember uh, from his from his first run before Big Mouth Loud, where I do believe he had one IWGP title shot in 2004 against Ironhead, isn't didn't he? Um, this was not his first um, IWGP title shot, I don't believe, um, but it's the first one since he returned. So so the point I'm getting to here is is I'm 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 well schooled on this guy, and I do think that this was. His most well-rounded and 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 most complete performance of his career. Um, I, I didn't prepare you with that question, and it may be catching you off guard. But what do you think about that? Because this wasn't one of his 
12 no, to 15 <laughs> minute. Yeah, this wasn't one of his 12 to 15 minute sprints where he goes in there and just goes in there with someone like Goto or Ishii and they murder each other. This is a 40 minute match. I mean, I don't know if he's ever gone 38.09, which is the official time of this match. Yeah, I, I, if somebody mentions one immediately, we might go, oh yeah, you know, yeah, that, that was even better. Than, I don't, I don't know how it could be, but uh, it, it's possible, especially somebody like an Adam, somebody who loved Shibata. I mean, he was a big fan of that style. He liked the your your junior Fujitas and guys like that. I didn't. I didn't like Anokiism. Uh, I appreciated what these guys did. I mean, I, I like amateur wrestling. I, I like fighting. Uh, I didn't need it interspersed i was you know i watched eugene nagata's career collapse and i watched him become mr deadstock for no other reason except for he decided to man up <laughs> and go in there and accept the fight against mariko prokop one that you know this is before they knew uh exactly what mariko was all about they figured nagata even though he was 15 years out of college you know as good as he was he could just take him down and keep going and i saw that just basically kill the company and that was a devastator to me because a lot of people grew up as all japan fans they followed dave's reporting in the newsletters and all that sort of stuff well i had access to new japan a little bit more uh i was a fan of coliseum video and seeing tiger mask on there and seeing the cobra on there so basically almost junior heavyweights were the huge influence on me you know seeing them in the 90s the the new japan juniors so i was always a new japan fan and i saw that style and that mentality that Inoki had brought in trying to keep up with the MMA boom in Japan, and it just completely, you know, ruined things for me. And, and the thought of Shibata coming back, you know, when he did have some good matches, I'm not going to say he didn't, but, I mean, my God. You know, as far as the, the Musketeers go with Tanahashi and Nakamura, Yutaka Yoshi was more of a, a Musketeer to me. You know, pick another guy, and I looked at them as more of the holders of professional wrestling than anything Shibata was doing. And anything your Maedas and Uais and, and people like that wanted to be a part of. And he never, you know, in hindsight, Shibata never had that chance to be that well-rounded pro wrestler because they didn't want him to be. It was punch and kick and knee, and that's what you're going to do, and it's all wrestle all the time, and that's it. And he comes back with, with as a, an associate piece with Sakuraba, and I just wanted to throw up because we, we came past this point of trying to rebuild New Japan and the Bullet Club was getting long in the tooth and there were things like this happening and now you're going to bring back shooters, this is what you're going to do. And, and I hated the thought of it. I hated the possibility of them doing it, but then they did it and the best benefit, the biggest benefit of all of it is when everything got peeled away. Katsuyori Shibata, now you're remembering why when he debuted that people thought he was going to be such a great wrestler, how he harkens back to another how he harkens back to the the feeling of Takata uh, when Takata was on the come up, the badassery. If you were a juniors fan, the badassery of Otani, the come up of Kanemoto. You see the the black boots and the black trunks and the power that that really has, you know, in, in the hands of a, such a great, well rounded athlete as Katsuyori Shibata is. So. I mean, I, I, I've, I've probably blown him enough here. I, I've put him on enough of a pedestal, but it was a long way of getting around back to saying that, I mean, he is at his peak right now because he's being given the opportunity to truly be, you know, not just, you know, the, the Mr. Wrestler, but Mr. Pro Wrestler. And it, it, it's been a fantastic run. You know, I'm, it must be the Jersey Paisan thing because I'm, I'm right with you. I wasn't, I wasn't crazy about him the first time around. And it's funny when um, a, a few months ago on the show, 
um, Rich went back and dug up some of my old reviews from what you know, whether it was 2012 or 2013, when when uh, Laughter Seven returned, and I was I was like you, I was not optimistic and I was not happy about it, and Shibata had to win me over. Sakuraba never did, and what's funny about that is he's my favorite MMA fighter of all time, but I cannot stand him as a pro wrestler. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, I watch if you watch, and again, we're all different. I wasn't a fan of that style, but like. The road to uh, like the Super J Cup, where he was on there, it's like Masayoshi Motegi, and you know there was all kind of leading up to the when the J Cup started. But there's lots of these different styles on there, and I remember having that VCR tape uh, when it basically not long after it had come out, and I remember watching Sakuraba, and it's like, nah, <laughs> like yeah. this, this people like this, you know, and it like again, like you're saying as a fighter. I mean, you know, how he's incorporated the wrestling aspect into everything. I mean, it's amazing. But, you know, they bring those guys back. And it's like it's also a testament to 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 Jado and Ghetto. And because they hear something the owner did and said, yeah, fucking here. <laughs> and yeah. he plopped it on him. And it's like you're going to have Gracie's, too. And damned if they didn't turn crap into a positive. And again, a lot of that's got to do with the talent level of Shibata and the fact that I mean, this is what he is at 37 years old. I mean, again, it's uh, this isn't going to be revelatory or anything like that. It's just after that match, I think there's a if it's either a new or a, a certainly a renewed appreciation for exactly where this dude is at right now. Because like in the Osprey match and, and the past couple, think of any wrestler in the world, almost any wrestler, and then stick Shibata on the other side of him. You know you're going to get something great. If the guy flies, Shibata will ground him, but still have enough athleticism to, to to trade back and forth with him. I mean, no matter who it is, he fits a perfect scenario. Yeah, and to me, look, once he finally signed a New Japan contract, because for three or four years there, he wasn't officially on the roster. Yes. And aside from the fact that there was bitterness from some of the veterans on the roster, which they cleverly turned into storyline with Tanahashi at one point there. Uh, there was also the idea that he wasn't an official roster member as well, and I don't know whether they were making him sweat that out as sort of a punishment or whatever the case was, but he signed last year, and you saw from that point that this slow burn push was finally coming. I think that this match with Okada was the culmination of that. They draw the they drew the biggest uh, sumo hall crowd period since at least 2010, but probably from further back than that because the 2010 numbers are a little sketchy. And that's G1 or otherwise. Because during this whole run where New Japan has slowly been uh, doing better business, it's, these sumo hall crowds have always been, well, this is the best sumo hall non-G1 crowd that they've done. in a, Well, this was the best G, uh, sumo hall crowd that they've done, period, including G1 shows, going back at least seven years and possibly more. So this is the culmination of Shibata's feud. The fans were ready for it. The push has worked. And to me now, he's a made guy. He's one of their five made guys. He's one of their five top stars. There's Okada. There's Naito, obviously. Uh, I think Tanahashi's still in that mix because they could headline with him at any time. There's Kenny Omega, who was made on January 4th. And now there's Katsuyori Shibata. You can mix and match those guys. Tanahashi will continue to slide down the card, but I, I still think you'll see him headline some shows this year, particularly during the G1. But those are the five guys now, and I do think... Like you said, it is a testament to Gato and Jado as well because, you know, they had Naito and they had Shibata sort of on the bench 
when Nakamura and AJ Styles and Kota Ibushi was around full-time, and they didn't need to pull the trigger on those guys then. Even when Kenny Omega first came into the company and they brought him in as a junior, the long-term plan was not to keep Kenny Omega around as a junior. The long-term plan was to eventually push him as a heavyweight and turn him into a money player. When Nakamura, AJ Styles, and Kota Ibushi got out of the way, that opened the door for the reinvented Naito, for cats, for the newly signed Katsuyori Shibata, for Kenny Omega to move to heavyweight and, and, and step into that role. And those, to me, are the new five guys. I think Shibata's a made guy now. I think uh, this was an enormous feather in his cap uh, to draw that kind of crowd to Sumo Hall uh, for, his, for his title shot. And another enormous feather in Okada's cap because he's been red hot at the gate since the G1, drawing sellout after sellout. And now, uh, you know, this enormous sumo hall crowd, uh, the, the Okada push, uh, mega push that he's getting here is, is absolutely working. It's the right thing for business. And Naito's doing just fine headlining and selling out the B shows sort of in that old Nakamura role. They really have things moving in the right direction, and they've done a great job elevating Okada and Shibata. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, two things. One, the cast system. It shows you, you know, when you <laughs> – five or six guys, you know, you got to have your top guys in the mix, and then you have a layer underneath them. Then you have a layer underneath that. And, you know, yes. the layer underneath the top guys that you just mentioned, you have a she, you can – you know, if somebody gets hurt or if something happens, no matter what, you got a she in that mix. You got um, – I'll give you the guy, Mike. You want the guy? You want yeah. the guy, you want the guy that's deep on the bench right now, but is going to be a money player. I say by 2019. Give it to me. Remember, you know how the past few years everyone's been screaming about they got to push Shibata. You know who the new Shibata is? The guy that people are going to be screaming about pushing. Sonata. That's the guy. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, well, that yes, and that's we'll probably get to him later on when we talk about his match. But I mean, he's he's the guy. He's the next guy, and you—they've already planted the seeds for it. They—they they already have that Tanahashi feud was no accident. No, absolutely not. And, and and his comments about you know not doing the be you know not not living up to his end of the deal. Uh, the 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 last show you know lose tr- dropping the fall. I, look, everything is set up for him for the future as a good guy, as a bad guy, no matter what it is. As leader of LIJ, kicking Naito out, working alongside LIJ, doesn't matter what it is. Sonata's that next guy, and it shows you when you have a system like they have where guys get taken care of to differing levels of degrees here that you can bring up or bring down a guy like Juice Robinson, who we'll get to later on. You can bring up or bring down a guy like Fale, who, you know, a little bit more of an extreme situation there, but still... The fact that they have their system so stabilized in the way that it is, why, you know, it's such a simple thing. Why people don't graft onto that more here in the States, I don't know. You know, they need to start being more patient and and understand that it takes a while to build things. And sometimes you you can't do it with everybody. But New Japan and how they treat their guys and how they're able to bring them up and down and never lose credibility with them is something that needs to be copied and needs to get in everybody's head. And when it comes to Okada... Like I said, he just belongs now on a list. When you start throwing names out about you know, your Nakamura's and your Tanahashi's and this guy and that guy, I mean, most certainly he's on the list now of names like your Shibatas, like your Kashidas, like your Naitos. I mean, he is one of the best in the world. He's got the matches that, that absolutely prove that. But the way things have, have kept going where, whether it's Tiger Mask W, 
or whether it's uh, uh, Tenru or whether it's Minoru Suzuki or whether it's it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter the style. Doesn't matter where the building is. Doesn't matter. He's going to be able to adapt to it. Are you booing him? Because guess what? Now he's going to pull some hair. And just like Tanahashi, just like Naito, he's going to do just enough to remind you that not only is he the champion, he can kind of be a prick too. He's got Gato on the outside. He knows how to do these things. If this, if you're going to boo him, no problem. He'll give you something to boo. But if you're cheering him wildly, he can sit there and he can make that, that Okada, that, that, that Ricky Morton Okada face where he's just kind of sad and he's got that dopey look on his face. And it's like, Oh my God, why are you beating this poor, this poor man laying on the ground? And he's so tall, he starts getting beat up, and it looks kind of awkward. And it's like, oh, God, look at him get beat. He can do everything. And it's been a great run for him. I think now Dave Meltzer and Brian talking about him on, on our shows. I'm not saying that this is going to be a new thing for, for people, especially listening to this show. But, again, he's been so good. And as they come to the States and everything, and they're going to get shine on some mainstream press. I don't know, Rolling Stone, ESPN, this, that, and the third, whoever's going to run stories when New Japan comes over to the country. People are going to see this guy for the first time, and it's a really good time to be hitting your stride as one of the, the absolute best in the world uh, when you're trying to make a global expansion. Mike, he's 29 years old. Isn't it insane? And, and, and he, Dude, his, Toriyaman. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 his, and his resume of incredible matches is already as deep <laughs> as some guys who are all-timers, and that's not hyperbole. No, it's and, really not. And the and the thing is, I mean, you know, you know, we're big on on trying to incorporate because me and Rich are sports guys, like you are. We always try to incorporate analytics into wrestling, and you know, we've studied it. And these guys really don't peak until they're in their mid to late thirties. This guy has ten years of peak abilities in front of him. Yeah, that's the old wrestling thing. Is you you don't. You go out and you go to and, – and obviously errors have changed, so I'm going to go old man here for a second, so everybody bear with me. But it's like you get into the business in most cases after you have failed at a college sport or after – or I shouldn't – I take that back. After you, Well, sometimes in college too where you failed trying to go to the pros. You, you, you want to work for a living, but you don't really want to work for a living. And a lot of guys end up in wrestling, and it takes time to learn. And before you know it. 10 years have gone by and you know you were 25 when you got in now you're 35 40 and it's like that's when things start clicking in that's when you start really developing things and in this day and age where everything there's pros and cons to it but one of the the pros of all this pressure is the fact that we can squeeze out diamonds sometimes quicker now it's very tough and a lot of times that some of the the gems that we find when you take a step back, you realize the impurities that they have in them. You know, the, the, the cut color and clarity isn't exactly, you know, on exactly where you may have looked, you know, when you're sitting up there on it at, in the moment. But with Okada, it's like you, you pull back. It's, he is only 29. He is a, a good example of, and granted, this is before, uh, but something had to start it all. He and Luke Harper, when you look at them training in Toriyaman and Chikara, I, I, look, I'm not saying that Keith Lee and every big guy in the world needs to know how to work with smaller guys, but you see where you have to you have to make sure that you're athletic enough to do things with these guys. And granted, these are special people that I'm talking about too, but it's a, an example of like this is how they came in. These are the this is how guys are coming in now. Guys in DDT. 
you know, who are being trained by smaller guys in some cases. You know, it's like things have changed where the hybrid training of these guys, I think, has gone miles. And I think in a case like Okada, where, you know, he's what, 6'4 or whatever he is. And granted, he's not a huge bodied guy and he's grown certainly, but he hasn't grown that much into his body. He's built, he's built like a swimmer. Yeah, exactly. And it's like he's got longer, leaner type of muscles, and it's like he hasn't exploded into looking like a Manabu Nakanishi or anything. So it's like, you know, I just think that training has helped him out immensely and just right place, right time and being the right guy. But he is, again, put him on a list. I don't know where you're putting him, if it's a top 20, 15, top 10. I know they did one in Japan where he ended up being like four or something like that. that. And that was crazy. But, uh, and, that, and that was crazy, but, but I think a lot but, of people but, were like, I, he doesn't belong on the list at all. It's like, which, no, which to is these also people crazy. today. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's a, he's, he absolutely does. And when you look at his resume, you can justify it. Someone asked me the other day, is he one of the ten greatest wrestlers of all time? I said, no, I don't believe he is. But I said, you can make a reasonable case that he's approaching the top 20. I think that's yeah. fair. Well, yeah, it's like you can't make that call now, but it's like, it, you know, if you do watch sports, you watch – your Bryce Harper's in baseball or your, you know, no matter who it is uh, in football, your, your great running backs and you know, they're great early. And then now it just becomes a matter of, will he get in trouble off the field? Will he break down? Will he have injuries? Will he have a run of, of bad seasons? Will he all of a sudden he lose it? Because, you know, just like in any sport, I mean, no, sometimes things just happen. And, like that, it just all goes away for whatever reason. Right. Just things aren't connecting anymore. Fighters, it happens to a lot. You know, you get tagged once, and like that's going to be it for you. And it is too early to make the call now because he is so young, and the fact he does have so much more left to go in the tank. But I, I if, if you were to Gale Sayerism or Clemente him right now and just stop, it's like, goddamn, you're going to have to start considering him, you know, pound for pound and year for year and match for match and, and athletic ability for athletic ability. You start having to compare him, and he makes it tough. You know, here's the best way to look at it. You look at a guy in his own company. You look at the guy, the ace before him. You look at Tanahashi. And Tanahashi, until about 2000, I want to say 10 or 11, Everyone knew he was very good and had a, had the chance to be great, but he still had those some of those spotty performances. Some of those Nakamura matches from Nakamura's previous life, some of those late aughts Nakamura Tanahashi matches, didn't quite hit the high notes that people need that people expected them to hit, and really that the company needed them to hit. So Tanahashi was kind of hit or miss. He had the best run of his career in his not just in his 30s, but he really peaked in his late 30s. That's when Tanahashi really hit his stride and was this can't-miss big-match wrestler. Circling back to Okada, you think about Okada. Mike, I don't know about you. I'm sitting here trying to come up with one. When has he ever bombed in a big spot? When has Okada never delivered a huge match in a big spot? And remember, he was rocket-packed when he came back in 2012 as a 24-year-old or whatever that was. Um, who someone, you know, people thought he had potential, but no one expected him to get that, that, that sort of rocket pack mega push. And he's had a lot of pressure on him from the minute he stepped back in the company. And he has delivered every single time. He hasn't had those spotty performances that even an all-time great and a guy who I think is a genius, Hiroshi Tanahashi, had in, in his early days. And now he's just, and he hasn't even entered his 30s yet where your mind sort of catches up with your physical and you become sort of a more cerebral worker, he has a chance to actually be better 
as we move along. And that's what's really terrifying about this guy. Well, it's, yeah, you know, like his original trainer, and this is before the elbow, uh, but around the time they did the 100 Greatest Wrestlers of All Time book, John Molinaro, I think was the, I think is his name, is the one who, who did it, um, and Ultimo Dragon was, was one of the 100 listed, and this is around the time he was getting the Hall of Fame a little bit before that, the Observer Hall of Fame, where, you know, one of the things that, that people would say in defense of Ultimo Dragon was, Go ahead, name an all, a bad Ultimo Dragon match. And right. you could pull, you know, the, the hardest of hardcore Lucha guys could pull them and things like that. And since that time, you know, things have changed and things like that. But it's like, and it's also, I guess, a reason why you don't vote people into the Hall of Fame too early. He would be one of the great examples of that. I think that, that people who are against him would say, but it was like, you know, for name a battle to right, you couldn't do it. You know, you could at least attach two and a half snowflakes every time. At worst, you could say it was average, depending on who he was wrestling. And Okada's kind of like that. It's like, you know. Except, except with this guy, it's four stars every time. Four, well, the, yeah. I mean, four, it's like, you know, name it, it, a bad is, three and a half, you know. It's sub crazy. Like, four stars is the floor with this guy. Like, <laughs> the way. It's, and, and, and the thing that separates him from even some of his own New Japan contemporaries like Tanahashi, Nakamura, people like that, is he's great in tags. And that could be a product of his age. Maybe his body doesn't hurt like some of these other guys. So he's not taking those nights off. I understand that. But he's a great tag worker, too. And that could be part of that Toriyaman background. Uh, that could play into that as well. And who knows? Maybe when he gets older, he'll start taking it easy in tags. But his tag matches, he doesn't take those nights off. He works just as hard. This guy's floor in the big matches, four stars. He busts his ass in tag matches. And now th he may be on the best run of his career since really last year's G1. And when you look at this year with the Omega match and then the Suzuki match and now this match, the Tiger Mask W match, the Marafuji match at King of Pro Wrestling, the Marafuji match at G1 – I mean, this is just the run that he's on now is he's just hotter than ever, both at the gate and in the ring. Oh, it's 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 almost comedic. I mean, it 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 is because it's like you know Shibata and Tiger Mess and Suzuki and Omega and Marafuji and Naito and, and like and, and like all different styles of wrestlers. That's and all yeah, different styles of matches. That's the other thing. It's never yeah. the same thing with this guy. And you take, yeah, and that's the thing. You take it back and it's Sonata and it's Tanahashi and Styles a couple times. And you look at those Tanahashi and Styles matches and they're, they're kind of the same. But like you said, they're very different. And then you, you take it to like his match with Goto was different than Naito. It's just, he can do everything. And, and again, it goes back to that. It goes back to just him hitting his peak right now and being so good and talk about pressure. I mean, he came back against, he re-debuted, I think it was against Yoshihashi, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you know, he gets to wrestle his friend, you know, he comes back from Mexico, the big excursion, and it didn't hit. And no, it was terrible. And Goto, I mean, it's like the gimmick is there and everything, but it's like these guys, you, the balls that it takes. Like, I remember I was a huge Nakamura fan from the time he debuted. I was a big fan of the Supernova. I... I can admit that I saw something in Nakamura that apparently nobody else did because I really did think this guy was the future leader of New Japan, and it was a hell of a way to try to get there, but he, he ultimately ended up doing it, obviously. Uh, but with Okada, it's like, I mean, he comes back, and Goto was, the I think, the last one before him to come back. And it was like he comes back with that Shogun gimmick. He comes back against Muda on a loaded 
dome show and it's like it was good but it wasn't where you needed it and with Goto and the the sixth failed title you know <laughs> attempts now, and now everything I think we're up it's to like eight or nine so yeah, yeah I mean it was like he's talk about great booking they've been able to keep him in the mix and I think he deserves credit for that but it's like they as good as it was they didn't need any more guys to just kind of be toiling near the upper mid card they needed a guy to really bank on and, and go through and okada was going to be this guy he gato was going to make sure he this going to be a major part of this group and, and the whole nine yards and nakamura was still there and all that stuff but it's like this is all the focus is on this guy and there was so much pressure on him and to come back and he lays an egg and it had to hurt his confidence, but they were able to keep him going, and you didn't really know it. You, you know, you would have never guessed it looking at him. And he didn't have, you know, he had a little bit of hesitation in his work, but for the most part, he just put his head down, and he kept grinding, and he kept going. And we have had this incredible run during these four title. You know, there's the other thing, too. You know, you, you've in, we're in a different era now where there's more title defenses than ever. There's more title changes than ever. And, you know, who would have ever believed when we were growing up that, and, you know, when he won that title in whatever it was, 2012, the beginning of, of 2012, he, this is now his fourth defense or his fourth his fourth reign. And it's like he's had four reigns in four years. Does, does that damage him at all? No, it's just the way that, that, that we are right now. But, I mean, there was a risk in even changing the title so many times. With Tanahashi, it was one thing. He became established, and he kind of opened the door to it a little bit. But still, I mean, Okada is – He's he's a figure during a time of transition and change, and he's able to carry the company and he's able to carry himself in the way that he's doing it. And I think it's not as appreciated now. But as we look back at this changing era, depending on what happens in America and all this other stuff, you know, he is a pillar of that and he's going to be the face of it. And if things go south, then sure, he'll be the face of some of that stuff, too. But he is most certainly the face of everything that's good happening right now as well. And I'm not taking anything away from Kenny Omega. But with all due respect to Kenny Omega and his fans, you know, Kazuchika Okada is New Japan. He's the future of that company. He's the guy. He is the star. No offense to Kenny. He's very important. Kenny falls in a great line that, that Devitt had opened up. For that company, the change, that change and the culture and the fans and all that sort of stuff, that acceptance. I'm not saying anything against that, but but coming into America, coming into, quote unquote, the new global expansion era of New Japan was Kazuchika Okada as your champion. I'm sorry. That's the way I would go. This is the Okada era. You know, I yeah. said it. I said it at the start, the, the Okada slash Kadani era. But this is the Okada era. That's and and you say no offense to Omega. It, it, the same thing with uh, Naito. I mean, Naito certainly has a very important role right now. But he's another guy on the wrong side of thirty, and and he's an enormous draw now. And credit to him for reinventing himself. And he's an enormous star. Um, but look, I've always been on the side of when people were screaming about you got to put the belt on Naito. You got to put the belt on Naito. No, I never agreed with that. Uh, this is Okada's company, and 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 over the last few months, um, he's sort of made that argument about putting the title on Naito look silly, uh, with the crowds that he's drawn and and and, and the run that he's on. But um, but hey, yeah. I could have put the belt on Shibata. I could have put the, if if you asked me before this, and I I was I had a scenario in my mind where and I've talked about it on WOL and everything where it's like I. I could have put the belt on Shibata and come up with a story that, you know, it was one of the last things that Okada had to overcome 
you know, this level of wrestler. This, yes, he survived Suzuki, the old, the old boss, the old boss of bosses, but now with Shibata, it was a different kind of animal. And could this pretty boy survive it? And I thought if you wanted to throw some strife in Okada's life as you lead towards Omega, because obviously that's where he's going to lead. If you wanted to give it some time to get to January or whenever you're going to do him and, and Omega, and I assume that's when it is, then you had this thing that you could have done. Since the match ended and, and everything ended the way that it did, I'm so happy they didn't do that. But, but it's like that's what I you could have made that call to do that. And Naito's the same way. You could throw the belt on Naito at any time. Sure, you, you could. And, and he will get another run. There's, Absolutely. There, but you know what? With Naito, just like Shibata, and I'll, I'll, I'll shut up after this, with Naito and Shibata – there's still story to be told where Naito is not the Tranquillo champion. There's still a story to be told where Shibata, at some point, he's going to wear that title. I find it very difficult. It might take two years, but you know what? That's just going to be a part of the story. And both of those guys, again, Naito can hold on to that belt when, oh, I don't know, some buck like uh, Sonata is trying to take it from him. Correct. That may be more of the time that Naito is going to have that belt, especially, especially if you're going to angle up you always need another third wheel in the mix. If you're angling up Sonata and, and Okada as your future, which they probably should be, and you can throw Kushida's name into that mix, you can play names on the peripheral all you want, but those are probably the two names, and if that happens, then you are going to need an Omega because you are going to need a buffer in there to play in the top four mix with them. Oh, Omega's a key part right now, and Naito obviously too. And, and look, Naito's every bit the star Okada is right now, but it, it, it would be foolish to push him ahead of Okada. Uh, uh, you know, for for many reasons that I've that, that I've stated on this show that I don't want to rehash now, but he'll probably he'll get another run. I have no question about that. I think the big money match that they're saving because they've kept them apart is probably Okada Naito. I have a feeling that may be the dome match. I think the Omega match. I think that's going to happen at Dominion, but we'll get to that in a minute. Let's get back on track here. We both love the match. I think we both because we both just wax poetic about both men for the last uh, half hour or so. But my the, match of the year so far. <laughs> there you go, and you know that's a perfect segue because I was going to ask you. I think there's a lot of momentum here where this match is overtaking the Okada Omega quote unquote six star match as a lot of people's match of the year. So since that's your take and you agree with that, tell me why you think. Well, first of all. Did you think previously that the Okada Omega match was the match of the year? Or did you have something else in mind? No, I didn't even think it was the best match at the Dome, and I thought it was awesome. So you were a you Tanahashi know? Naito guy. Yeah, uh, I, I really was, and, and again, I so mean, so what if, was your match of the year coming into this show? It, it was probably it was Tanahashi Naito, I think. Okay, so uh, what? So what vaulted this match ahead of Tanahashi Naito for you? It, it was just to me, it was a better. It was a. It was a great IWGP championship match. I, I don't know. Maybe I just was feeling good, <laughs> you know, watching it or, or I don't know. But I mean, this was the most to me, it was just the most complete match. And I don't I, I don't know. I can't give you a reason why uh, other than I find the hole there. There are very few when you Bingo. start that's, taking and, hairs and, and, that's and you want to take and nits you, to pick. That's what I wrote in my review. I don't see what you could improve about this match. Which is, I don't know if you're a star guy, but which is why I ultimately went five stars on this match because there's find the hole. There's nothing to improve on. The arm work played into the match uh, to a tremendous degree. 
The work from both men was flawless. The story was tremendous. Um, I, I just didn't see any flaws with this match. I went five stars. It's pretty insane. I went back and looked through my notes that go back about, I don't know, six or seven years that I could at least, you know, dig up and find. I still use the old spiral notebook, Mike. So we're, no, no Excel spreadsheets here, okay? Hey, I, I got a bunch spiral of papers. Notebook. I, I'm, it's looking like Dave Meltzer's floor right now. I can hear right you flipping through them. I can hear you flipping <laughs> them. But anyway, I've never had an individual year where I've given out more than two five-star matches in the world. I've given out three five-star matches in this company in four months, and this was one of them. Uh, and two of them were, were Okada. So, I mean, I'm with you. I, I don't know if I if I like I, – I still think I prefer – the Okada Omega match to this one. I think it just had the the bigger, more epic feel that I like when it comes to a match of the year. But this match, I, I mean, I'm talking about two five-star matches here. To me, it had no flaws. I'm right with you. Um, it's the little things. And, you know, it depends on what you like out of your match or, or what gets you at that. Because a lot of times, too, it's, it's place and time. Yes. And it may not be fair, but it's like great sporting events. Like, I mean, I you know, you've seen enough baseball games. You could go to a game in early may and it would be you can watch the best game it could be a day game and not a whole lot of not a lot of people there and it could be the best goddamn game if nobody sees there if you're the only one you're just talking about it in, in passing and in lore of like man there was a game that was so much better than this it's time and place like it, as many people see it the event that goes around it all that sort of stuff and with shibata and, and to me the the headlock he's got him in a headlock and he's rolling his hands. And people, you know, they, little things like that where it's like he's rolling his hands and it's like, why? Because it's the wrist. The wrist is actually pressing in to Okada's face and rubbing into his eye in the upper part of his cheek. And for anybody that's ever been in a headlock and had somebody do that, as you know, it's more of an annoying thing than anything. But it does hurt a little bit, especially when you're in a hard headlock. And they're rolling their arm around. It's like little stupid things like that. And, and Shibata's face is selling it. And Okada's face is selling it. And it's like when those little things, there is a lot of people don't realize this, the fighting spirit comeback. This was one that it, it took me time to learn in Japan where it's like the burst at the end, which always like when you first start watching, it, it, it can be jarring. It's like, let me understand. This guy was almost mortally killed. There's blood dribbling out of the side of his face. He was down for two and three quarters counts, like three straight times. He was just knocked on his ass. I don't know how many times, but all of a sudden he spurts back up and he hits a rolling elbow and he does this. And it's like, yes, because just like in real sports, the, the, the oomph to get over the one yard line, the, the, the miracle play, the, the last burst of energy you have, the, the last windmill punch that you throw, desperation punch that you throw. But there's an art to getting to that. And they did a great job getting to that point where Okada, it doesn't, you know, sometimes when a guy is selling a knee, Naito it was like this early in his career. It's been one of the complaints with Kishida. Most certainly has been a complaint in the past with your Ibushis and your Pox and guys like that where it's like they have that big explosion, but they forget that they're still hurt. That didn't happen in this match either. You know, it's like the, the, the perfection yeah, of everything. Yeah, let me tell you, I, I, am, I am not – a selling fetishist. Okay. I'm definitely not, but that's something that always bothered me about Naito. I thought he was a poor seller for the reasons that you just said. 
Yeah, and, and it's, I don't think it, he really got it. it. And I don't think he really got it until he came back from that Mexican excursion and reinvented himself. I really don't. I was never a big Naito guy until he came back because I, I always had issues with his selling. And I'm someone who can overlook a lot of minor issues with selling. I'm not, I'm not someone who harps on that, but his stuff still bothered me. So it's interesting that you brought that up. Yeah, I mean that's one of the – like like <laughs> – I, I I probably put more emphasis on that than I should sometimes. I mean, it's like why, you know, I, I remember thinking Yujiro was far more animated in a lot of ways than Naito was early in their careers. Now, Naito, he was such a great worker, and he could do so many great things and everything, but like you're saying, it's like he w- he wouldn't sell. He would forget to sell because he was already thinking of the next thing, and he was thinking of the next thing to make himself and his opponent look right, but he was forgetting about sometimes, you know, hey, dude, you just – there was – 15 minutes of you yeah. being debilitated you can't forget about that and again back to the okada shibata thing that wasn't there and all of those little the music between the notes and the little cells and all of those things again that's why shibata is one of the best in the world right now because damn he is so he knows just his presence he is very self-aware even if he doesn't if that doesn't come across that way he knows that every time what your face is supposed to look like, what his face is supposed to look like, how these holds really do hurt and how they're supposed to be applied and the emphasis as far as like he can make things look like they are killing you and he is killing himself to make it look like they're killing you. And I hope that people actually can can really, truly appreciate and respect where he's at with that. This is just a beautiful match to watch. And then, you know, how Shibata went overboard with his strikes you know and there's where he does kill you which also yes. factors into his <laughs> and it just those that sequence of kicks where he was kicking in okada's chest and he didn't stop and he kept going because he knew this was the biggest match of his life and he had to get it done now and you know he he he, he went that extra mile and 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 the other little thing about shibata's performance because listen we give okada accolades all the time i want to talk about shibata for a minute I love the way that he sold the Rainmaker like nobody else ever did before, okay? Of course, the the biggest spot of the match, the the spot that everyone's going to remember, is when he no-sold the Rainmaker and didn't even bump. And then he delivered the headbutt. And then that perfect trickle of blood. That's the spot that everyone's going to remember. That is just just beautiful pro wrestling. But I'm talking about the Rainmaker at the end of the match. Not the one that Okada hit and then he held on with the wrist clutch. The one at the very end of the match where he delivers the Rainmaker to Shibata and Shibata doesn't bump backwards. He bumps forward, dead behind the eyes, down to his knees. He, the, the warrior is finally taken down and then Okada is able to deliver the match-ending Rainmaker moments later where he takes the flat back bump. But that, 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 that when he when he fell forward off of the rainmaker, it was sort of Shibata still being defiant in that moment of defeat. Where yep. I'm not falling <laughs> backwards for this man, but 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 it still took everything out of him, and he conveyed it in his eyes. He was dead behind the eyes, and he just collapsed at Okada's feet. And then Okada didn't need that extra rainmaker, but he hit it anyway. And we've seen Okada do that before. The G1 final against Nakamura, where he picked him up again and symbolically hit that extra Rainmaker to say, not only am I the G1 champion, but I am now the leader of chaos. That's what that Rainmaker was. He didn't need it, but he 
hit it anyway. And those are the little subtle things that Okada does. And Mike, I'm fired up. I'm so excited <laughs> talking about this match because it was a perfect match. This is a transcendent generational match. And Mike, he just had one in January. Yeah, what, is, uh, what is this man? He's he, what is he? He's just he's amazing. He he's a gift, and he put in a, he put that exclamation point fu uh, rainmaker on him, which again it was played into in the match where it's like if you wanted to look at it as champion being a champion, you could look at it that way. If you want to look at it as he's a prick, he didn't need to do that. Well, he was doing prickish things earlier on in the match. Yeah, if you wanted hold, to look he was, at, he was holding on to the deep in debt even after the rope break, and yeah, and to draw the booze from the crowd because yeah. he, the, the crowd was ninety percent Shibata, which was a great atmosphere. There were people. Look, I wasn't the only one. There were people there that fully expected or were thinking, "I could see history tonight. Okada can win this, or uh, Shibata could win this belt," and that's what they were there for. Yes. If you wanted to look at it as just the champion who needed to go okay i need to make sure that this guy is down he put it on like no matter what no matter where your mind wants to take you as as the person on the journey that where, where they were taking you that's where they took you however you want to end up with with how you thought about it that's how and that's what you want you have all of this what'd you like about it you like this or what did you like about it you like that out of the match i mean it was it was an epic match and it was a great match and all of those little things to lead up to the end, right down to what you said, the defiance of Shibata, which is this is what you'll want out of your New Japan shooter. Because that's shooter. who he is. He's, yes. he's, he's just so uber-masculine and, and just, and, and, just and, and stupid about it, which is and why like his matches Suzuki. with – Just like Goto, why his matches with Goto were so good because you have these two meatheads – who have more guts? Who have more guts than brains? Like their dome match, which was incredible. And, and Goto, there's another reason why the charm of Goto there too, because Goto does the same thing. He yes. and just like Suzuki, where they have all fallen in, and everybody does this to a point. But these guys, where you have to knock the shit out of them, where their eyes are rolling back in their head, and they do instead of going backwards, they are just going to drop to two knees and faceplant on the ground, and then you're going to have to do with them what you can with this lump of dead body. Yep. And we got to move on, but one, one more quick, because we've spent way too much time on one match here. But uh, one more quick point. These fans, this was five years of hunger for waiting for Shibata to have this moment, and they wanted him to win so badly. But this loss did nothing negative. It did, th this was one of those situations where the loss means nothing. This guy's a made guy now, and these fans are going to be into his chase now. There's no question about it. That's I, the thing, yeah. I saw it, a lot of people saying that, you know, maybe they should have called an audible and this and No, th th listen, make the fans want it. OK, they're going to be into this chase now. And, and if he does eventually beat Okada at some point in that building, the roof is going to blow off. I mean, it's just gonna, make them wait. There's no listen. And the whole thing about people who wanted Shibata pushed three or four years ago, in hindsight, what an enormous mistake that would have been because you never would have had this moment if they would have blown through a Shibata push in 2013 or whatever the fuck. Well, and that's and, and I don't know when this is going to drop, but when Adam and I do uh, the Big Audio Nightmare, I can guarantee you that Adam is going to be thinking they should have went, you know, Masawa Jumbo and called the audible. A lot and, of people and, are. To be fair, a lot of people are saying that. Yeah, and like and like I said at the beginning, I I would have if you would have put me in charge, I may have made. In fact, I would have made the the title switch again. I'm glad they did not, but I probably would have done it, but. 
doing it in how they did it and how everything ended up, yes, did they miss this opportunity at this moment in time? Would it have been big and, and hurt Okada? Wouldn't have hurt Okada. It would have been big. Absolutely. It would have been a wonderful journey. But you know what? They're not looking at this journey as over. And one thing that Jado and Gato have proved time and time again, whether it be the Bullet Club redo over and over, whether it be bringing in shooters, whether it be no matter what it is, you have got to give them the benefit of the doubt. You have to stand back. Not everything is going to work perfectly. But look at Goto and being able to stay in the position he's in. Look how they have juggled all these sorts of things. Again, you've got to give them the benefit of the doubt. And the fact, like you said, nothing... Nobody is looking at Shibata any less. They are only looking at him more. And when time comes, and the time is going to come, and when it does, you do it at the Dome or you do it in a place where, I mean, it's it's probably at that point fight or flight because Shibata is 37 years old. And it's like, you know, whether it's it's winning the G1 journey, no matter exactly what it is. And we should mention the head injury where he had to go to the hospital and get that surgery, which I really don't want to get into because at the time, at the time we're recording this, I don't know enough details. I don't like talking about serious injuries unless I know the ins and outs of it, but we should bring it up at least. And he's going to be off the next tour and possibly even longer. So that's worth mentioning too. I'll Uh, say this about that injury. Um, It was pointed out on Twitter. because Striga um, initially pointed out, this is a story that, that was initially reported in Tokyo Sports, which should send up a little bat flare Mike, right there I, I, now. I, Mike, I know, where you're go- I know where you're going. I know where you're going. I know, but hold on. It's funny because Rich wanted to go there, too, and he was afraid to tweet but, it. Look, even – look, he did go to the hospital. That's, that's yeah, true. He we know did that, get yes. looked at. That is all true. To the level of the, the surgery and all of that stuff, I think maybe look again. It was it, this is the one thing, and I don't. We should before we move on. I will say this because I have been when all things come out to being even. If you gave me the the dudes with the flippy dudes, if you gave me uh, Ashii and Shibata, and then gave me Naito and Tanahashi, if you gave me those three options, all having great five star matches, and I would admit that they would all have five star matches. I'm probably going to take Tanahashi Naito. I'm going to take the more of the pro wrestling thing more than maybe even the Flyers or the Yokamatachi Dragon Lee. As much as I appreciate all of it, I'm probably going to take uh, the, the pro wrestling style quote unquote one because I don't like the headbutts and things like that because they tend to not be necessary and, and sometimes it takes me out of the match. And this was one case with Shibata where. It did work, and it actually added to the match, and it was classic, and it was like uh, the the right amount of flare of blood or whatever it was back in the day. It was perfect, but it was stupid. And and if if he is hurt as bad as has been kind of laid out there, and it's not just an issue of needing time off, and this was a good way for him to get it and a good excuse because it was so believable. And maybe again, maybe he needed. He did have the hematoma, but the him falling out was. Uh, dramatized on the way out of the ring again where where the work ends and where the reality begins it doesn't really matter what is important to say is even though it added to this match if i never see it again or if i never see it to that level i'm going to be okay with that i know shibata in 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 suzuki and shibata and these guys they like that they're fine with doing it to each other goto is another one 
I I cringe because something bad truly is going to happen at some point, and it just doesn't need to. So there's there's my old man PSA of the day. There it is. I take a slightly different tax. My listeners know I am not in the business of telling grown men what to do with their bodies. I mean, that's just the way I look at it. Um, some people think that's cold. Uh, I agree that it's stupid. I will never not As say somebody that it's who's not had stupid. head injuries. I, I, I just I they can do with it what they want, because like I'm one of these guys. It's like Evander Holyfield, where if. If you can't give him a reason not to fight as a state athletic commission, I don't have to buy it. I don't have to support it. I don't have to say it's right. But you have to do – you have to let them do what they do. And I know people are like, well, why does a New Japan come down harder on them? Because at the end of the day, you can tell them what you want. Right. They're going to do what they want to do anyway. The only thing you can do is look at them and go – Ah, you know, you don't need to do that shit. And they're going to go, yeah, we know. And they're still going to go ahead and do it. So it's like, it isn't going to be what it is. But I will say as a, as a critic, as a fan, as, as the talking head that I am, it, it does at times when it, when it's happened with the Shi'i especially, it has actually, there's been times where it has taken me momentarily out of the moment because it's like, it's so jarring and it's like, it, it didn't need to be done where, it does actually, if, if, if again, if you're going to pick a nit, I guess for me, there's the one. I hear you. For me, look, it's your wheelchair, man. I, you know, it's, it's, if you want to be a moron. <laughs> I say it's, it's your Parkinson's. That's yeah. it. I, you know, there's a nice spot for you next to Dynamite Kid is the way I look at it. I, I, I'm not going to tell a grown man what to do with his body, but, uh, but all right. So let's, let's go through, let's go back to the oh, top. The other thing, and, okay. It, it, I promise this is it. The other thing too, of the head things is go along. Cause there may be a kid listening to this. Look, it's some, it's not necessarily all about the head. It's about your neck. It's about your spine. It's about your back. It's about that too, where that compression on your neck, everybody forgets. Like we're not talking about guys who have had crushed skulls from these chair shots and these headbutts and stuff like that. What happens is the neck issues. And that's what people have to remember sometimes too. It's not all about the concussion. It's about the fact that you can black out later on in life because you have a nerve that presses just right and you fall the fuck out and and why guys get crippled down one side of their bodies and things like that that's where some of that needs to be remembered too so kids don't do that me and you are going to do a three-hour show one day on match psychology and and uh <laughs> because I, I think it'd be very interesting, but we got to get through the show, Mr. Sempervivi. Sorry. Uh, let's circle back to the top here. So we'll go back to the top of the show. We have David Finley, Jushin Thunder Liger, and Manabu Nakanishi defeating the three young lions, Harai Kawato, Katsuya Kitamura, and Tomoyuki Oka. I want your take on this because this Harai Kawato, he is over with the New Japan fans more. Fun one, isn't he? <laughs> he is over, I think, legitimately, and I'm not being, uh, with with no bit of hyperbole, I believe he is over with, with the New Japan fan base more than most North American wrestlers, mo- most North American pushed wrestlers are over. I mean, this kid is over, and, and, and I think it's because he has that unique underdog charisma uh, that is that is a rare thing, and the fans just love this kid. Kitamura, of course, is the uh, roided-up, PED-abusing, ultra-tanned. He would be feuding with Hulk Hogan if this was 1986. He would be doing a six-month house show loop with Hulk Hogan with a blow-off on Saturday night's main event. Um, He's just got a monster look, and I think they're going to push him. I think if he can be passable in the ring, they're going to find a way to push this guy. That's an understatement. And then, of course, there's Tomo Yukioka, who is the hand-picked... 
future star by Kadani, which means everything. And Yuji Nagata's in love with him too. And he's the guy who they think can be a future ace and a rival to Okada. So the three of them lose to Finley, Liger, and Nakanishi. But what I want to ask you, and this really started with Komatsu and Tanaka, and then it extended to Finley and Jay White, where those two sets of Lions were sort of rivals to each other in the openers. And those two sets of, of, of juniors, first Komatsu and Tanaka, and then later Finley and White, got over with crowds because they started to have great matches against each other. It, 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 sometimes on certain Corican shows, it would be the third or you know the third or fourth best match on the show. It was incredible that these young boys were going out there and having six minute matches that were like three and a half star matches. And now we see Kawato and now Oka starting to get over, but especially Kawato. Now, Mike, you're a longtime New Japan observer. You're a longtime New Japan fan. You're old as fuck like I am. So you remember all these various generations of young lions. Is it just me? Or in modern New Japan, look, they still have the black tights and the black boots and they have to shave their heads before they get... But, but all of those things are still there. But is it just me or does there seem to be a more concerted effort in allowing these guys to get over much sooner than they did in the past? No, I think it is because they have... I think it's the visibility. I think it's the shine. I think wrestling fans are smarter and and, and more uh, proactive. And, and even it, it took a while to change, but you see where the Japanese fans are at. Right? You can just tell when a WWE show comes over, you know, with, with how they react now and how they react to, to certain things. I mean, times have changed. And I think, you know, everybody knows the deal now. And these guys are on the come up and they know they knew Oka was handpicked. It's almost like. You know, Oka was, was seemed to be the guy, but Kawato, from the time they got in there, was over more. You, you know what I mean? I just think people are, I think people are just more tuned in than ever, which helps. And I think these guys have more visibility, uh, than ever, which helps immensely because we look at wrestling now with Nakanishi and Liger wrestling those guys and you know exactly what it's all about. You know, whereas before, maybe as a fan, you kind of, you buried that a little bit where it's like, you know, the, the, yeah, they're wrestling, but it's like everybody knows they're wrestling to see where these guys are going. I mean, that's how you're looking at this, the how these guys are on the come up, these these young guys and, and all the the attention and the pressure uh, from, from the fans is completely on them. And we had such a time of we had such a bad run for such a, when, when I first started doing the, the press who power hour it was 2000 and. Four, I think it was with, with Dr. Keith. And it was like, you know, that system, it's like, yeah, we had Tanahashi and we had uh, Nakamura, but it took a long time for those guys to get where they were going to be. And we also had Yutaka Yoshi, which, yes, he was a tag champion with Tanahashi, but he never turned out the way that they thought he would. And I don't think personality-wise he was ever suited for that place. We had guys like Giant Vabo. Uh, Hiroshi Nagao, we had, uh, uh, they were going to call him Hirohito. He had the really pretty wife, Kenzo Suzuki. Yeah, Kenzo we Suzuki. Kenzo, yeah. We had guys like that where it was like, holy shit. And we were coming out of Anokiism and it was like, it, everything was, was pulling teeth in a fight. And this is where Choshu doesn't get enough credit because I think people are going to think about Naofumi Yamamoto, uh, and, and think about, you know, that was his handpicked guy. 
more than than anybody else. And when Choshu left, Yo- Yoshi, when, Yoshi Tatsu for you youngsters, listen. Yeah, that's when he decided to go to WWE, and they made the the changeover to Jado and Ghetto, which needed to be done. But it was like Choshu as a stabilizing force was very important because okay. he closed ranks. Good. So let me phrase it to you this way, because the point I always made in the Komatsu and Tanaka days, mm-hmm. I thought those two guys were the most talented wrestlers at that stage of their careers since the Muto Chono group of young lions. No, no, and and, and do you know why? Is because Yujiro and Naito and Okada and there were when you look back a couple years ago at, at the excursions the guys were when they were and, and Nakamura was really at the time Nakamura was over in, in CMLL at the time they were doing the the quote unquote yellow wave thing with Okamura yes. with Naito and 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 Yujiro before they lost their hair over there like that you can't you can't it's un, that group's undeniable. Uh, so I, I think you have to you have to give it to Naito and Yudro as far as they are the new bar as far as where they were able to take things. Now I think you can maybe you need to scale that for for heavyweights or you need to scale that for Oka and well, Kawato well, a little I'll, bit. I'll tell you I this: think, I don't. I never saw Naito as a young boy have a match as good as the Komatsu Tanaka matches. Maybe that's just my opinion, but I can't say that he ever peaked that high at that stage of his career. Now I'm not saying there haven't been young lions over the over the years that. That obviously had huge upside. That's not my point. I mean, at that stage of their career, I never, I, I, pers- because the the Muto Chono group they popped immediately. Everybody knew they were good right away, and that's sort of what I saw with Komatsu and Tanaka. Now, I don't think this current group is is a special is especially talented right now, but I do think they're for what like Kawato just has this weird charisma. Uh, that that you don't look. He does, yeah. There were <laughs> so many period. There were so many groups of lions, and and we're talking about guys who eventually became huge stars, where they never garnered anything aside from polite applause through their entire run as lions. That's you're absolutely right. And, and here we have this kid. He's awkward looking. Let's face it. He's never going to be a star. Okay, but look, the world needs no. dig- listen. <laughs> the world needs ditch diggers too. There's a role for everybody on a show, and I'm not saying he's going to be a jobber his entire career. But he's awkward looking. He's he's uh, he, he he he. I think the. Fans- but you know what? That's one of the damn reasons he can become a star because when you have a, a a culture that where everybody's a little bit different, if you pop and doing your own thing. You know, uh, you can you can turn that into something, and they're going to try to cultivate that uniqueness, and they may be able to do it. I mean, Dan, look at not look at what how Nakamura. Remember when Nakamura came back from uh, Mexico, and he was doing like the the wacky Michael Jackson thing, and all the leather and the 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 red S and M type of hood mask, whatever it was. It's like yeah. holy shit. When he became him, it was like. Motherfucker, look at this awkward son of a bitch now all of a sudden. I mean, he's still throwing knees, but like now he's all weird about it. It's like if they can actually get that weirdness, maybe they can. Because I tell you, there's always, yeah, listen, there's always a magic gimmick that can click. I mean, obviously, you know, but it's like, and, and look. If we all could figure it out, everyone would be a megastar. No, but what you can always figure out is you can get the best. You can try to pull out what's inside of somebody. And if, if Kawato is that guy that way, because Kinomura, yeah, he's got the body. But let's be honest, 
how many of those guys ever truly make it in New Japan and really become the guy? Oka's the push guy. How many times have we had troubles with those guys, even mm-hmm. if they've made it at some point? We've talked about a couple of them. You never know. Kawato could actually be that guy, and boy, he's starting off pretty goddamn well. I would say Kawato. Now, this is impossible. Like, if you do this for Young Lions, you're going to be wrong 50% of the time or more. But I listen. Let's put ourselves on the line. I think his ceiling is either is sort of a Hanma or like a Sami Zayn, El Generico sort of thing, where he's this guy who fans just love to get behind, but is never ultimately going to get all the way to the top. I think that's his ceiling um, because I think he does have that kind of charisma. A guy like Kitamura, I I think they're definitely going to try with him. He's a guy who I could see them giving short-term pushes to, but I agree he's not a guy who I think would be a long-term top star. Oka, it's way early to project this out. I think he's had like 30 matches, but because he has Kadani behind him and he has the office behind him and he has Nagata behind him and he has all the people who matter behind him, he's going to get every opportunity uh, to be oh, a yeah. long-term star. So obviously I put his ceiling at the high, uh, the highest, but Kawato has that crowd connection at such an early stage, but I really do think it's because he's like a dork. I mean, I think they, <laughs> I think fans relate to him because he's so awkward and goofy, and he and he shows so much fire. And um, I just, I, I, I can't recall them doing like these little subtle storylines with young lions before sort of this era. I'll give you an example. Uh, Andrew Rich from our site pointed out Kawato has this thing going with Liger where he teams with him on the house shows. And Liger sets up his opponent for the match-ending brain buster, right? But then Kawato is begging the tag in. And they've done this several times now. Kawato's <laughs> begging the tag in. He's like, now let me get in there. I want to finish this guy off. So Liger kind of sells it to the crowd and shrugs his shoulders and tags the kid in. And he proceeds to get destroyed and loses the match. And then Liger kind of just looks at him like, here we go again. You know, you lost another one for us. When have they ever done that sort of thing to this extent with Young Lions before? This is why I – I don't know. I look at these things, and it makes me think that it's calculated. I think that they sort of get the ball rolling with these guys sooner now. Am I, I, oh, I mean, sure. I mean, I, think, I, I guess. I, I, you know, I, I, but I think about, like, Otani with Kenimoto and then Takaiwa. I, I guess – you know, I guess at this, but again, I think it because it's because of New Japan World and the fans changing and the visibility and the fact that, you know, everything is accelerated in this world. We, when we try to talk about rookies of the year, it's like, well, I saw this guy. It's like, well, at what point do should we actually call them? It's like playing, you know, the rookie league or single A baseball. It's like, all right, at what point do we have a full season out of this guy where they're not a rookie anymore or something yeah. like that? And I think, yeah. I just think that. They are, you're, you're right. They are definitely taking advantage of these guys and their personality sooner, but I think it's just a matter of you kind of, you kind of have to. You're going to put them out there and people are going to talk about them. They're going to bandy them about. You, you better do something with it. And I think you're right. And I think what, with all of those guys, you said it, Kamatsu and Tanaka are going to be their, the big shadows on those guys as far as their come up and their ceiling goes because we don't know where we're at with those with Kamatsu and Tanaka yet. I think those guys are at a big disadvantage. I think they were so good before they left that they better be good when they come back or they're in trouble. They oh, well, and, and there's and they there's where New Japan themselves too. by being so good. 
New Japan's got like, you know, when you look at, you think about it, it's like, Kushida's still got to run as a heavyweight. He's on the, well, on the other side of 30. Shibata's, you know, all of these guys, Ishii, most of the guys that they have there, and they can still go for a long period of time, but most of the guys that they have are older. So they do need those guys. I mean, this has been one thing where New Japan, you look at what DDT has produced and Big Japan has produced and some of these other places where it's like their systems, they seem to be getting, got Dragon Gate, obviously, although that's a, a little bit of a different story but you know these other companies seem to be getting guys who have some more color and are very well rounded too and you're kind of worried about new japan relying too many on outsiders and it's like at some point you know and i always thought dave uh, Meltzer, God bless him. I think he's always been too hard about this as far as where the next guy's going to come from. But it's like you do need to develop them. So if Kamatsu and Tanaka doesn't come back, if they come back and they're not good, and we end up having two Yujiros instead of two Naitos or at least right. one Naito, right. then we are talking about trouble. Although, too, it should be pointed out, Jay White, holy shit, was Jay White so great so early? Oh, My God. He, and he's another one. You know, I don't really worry about that stuff. I, I really think they're doing a great job developing, but I just wanted your take on these three in particular because they just have this – It feels just, good, I tell you. As a fan of New Japan, it feels good. And it's like the, the last four guys, you know, the Whites and the Finleys and the Kamatsus and the Tanakas, it was all, you know, the, the, the ring work was that these three guys, it's sort of they all have their own weird charisma. And I think it's and just if a Kinemura, dynamic. If Kinemura can become – and I know he's shorter, and so I know it's like Muscle Orchestra 2 out yeah. there, and I think they yeah. should probably do that with Nakanishi, but to a level. But, like, if Kinemura can become the new Fale, because I don't – and God bless, like, Tamatong is a different story, but, like, with Fale, it's like I know they're going to try something – you got to keep him in the mix. I at some point I just wonder if he's just going to become nine one one and he can be the new Japan version of nine one one because at some point if there's no evolution here, okay, fine. You had to try. Sometimes things don't work. You do need to get another big man in there. You do need to get another dominant force in there. So you do have to look forward that way because I, I again we'll probably get to it, but I don't know where we're at exactly here with Fale. Let's blow through some of these uh, prelim matches since we spent so much time on the main event and, and sh a shocking amount of time. I, I love talking about Young Lions, though. I wrote the review for this show, and I think I wrote more words for the for the, for the the dark match, the zero match, than I did for any <laughs> other. I mean, I just love uh, watching. I think it's the sports fan of me. We're all prospect-loving, right? It's like this whole prospect culture that has taken over in sports. I just love watching guys uh, in the early stage and watching them grow. Oh, uh, it was fun, these first couple of matches. I mean, they were... They they were what they were, but they were super fun. Yeah, they really were. The, the, the first half of this show had nothing blow away, but it was all super fun and all kept at the right length. So we had Chase Owens, Tamatanga, Tonga Loa, and Yujiro. I thought this was a slight upset since you had Chase Owens right there to eat the pin. Uh, and they defeated Tiger Mask, Tiger Mask W, Togi Makabe, and Yuji Nagata. I really thought... Uh, Chase Owens would take the fall here. It doesn't matter at all, uh, but I did think it was a slight upset. Uh, the, my only real takeaway here is I just think it's so amusing. I find it so amusing that Kota Ibushi is working New Japan prelims under a mask. I just I I'm fascinated by that. I I think it's 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 surreal. It's hilarious. Uh, but other than that, this was just a solid two and a half star opener. If you I got in a fight with this over Brian about the Young Bucks, but like. If you are paying your bills and you're happy and you have good prospects and you feel good about your physical condition and you don't need the guaranteed money and this, that, and the third, 
like if you're the Young Bucks or if you're the Briscoes with nine million family members and, and, and home businesses and stuff like that, or if you're Kota Ibushi where it's like, nah, that life doesn't interest me. I like having the ability to have the freedom and I can pay my bills and I got my stuff together and I'm investing my own money. Awesome. He seems to have the best job in the world. He's got, he's, I'll, I'll he's, be Tiger Mask and then go over and do this and have no nobody tie me down, nobody to tell me what to do. There's a pro wrestling spirit inside of Kota Ibushi that is uh, – it is a throwback. Yeah, and he's headlining Kai and Tai Dojo against Taka Mishinoku coming up. He's just doing all these interesting, fun things like Kaiju Big Battle. and Yeah, and you can bust his ball, do the art house geek thing. And you can, if you're an accountant, I'm sure you're just, you're, you're pulling your hair out of like, you know, take advantage of this while you're young, son, and all this stuff. But I think what, what needs to be remembered about guys like him and guys like the Young Bucks, yes, they rely a lot on their bodies now. They have also built up enough faith amongst their fan base, and they have such a powerful fan base that will spend on them and will follow them to the ends of the earth that if they all of a sudden never did another flying move and everything was based on the mat, they could adapt. Number one, they could adapt. And number two, they've built up enough good faith where people will come with them. So, you know, well, the Young Bucks will be broken down if they ever go to WWE. So then they just do what the Hardys do now with a broken gimmick. I mean, you these guys are smart enough to reinvent themselves. As long as you can do that, you can do what Kota Ibushi's doing and be fine forever. Rapongi Vice and Yoshihashi defeat Minoru Suzuki, El Desperado, and Taka Mishinoku. Uh, this was basically so Rapongi Vice could score a fall to set them up as the next junior tag team challengers. Uh, it was about a six minute and 50 second match. There's nothing much more to read into it. Minoru Suzuki, though, I love when he loses these tags. He always gets his heat back by destroying the Young Lions with a chair after the match. So uh, the, the wily veteran always keeping his heat. You do you have any strong thoughts? about this match again i thought this was just a match the only thing i'll add to it because obviously it was to set up Rapongi vice uh is that i thought they were going to lead to yoshihashi and minoru suzuki into to having a match that's not the case because minoru suzuki is being set up with goto for this next tour but uh, i think the other thing that if you want to add anything else to it is the fact that yoshihashi uh, got the win, which is not a shocker, but again, with Romero and, and Beretta getting the title shot, you're surprised that, okay, well, one of those guys could have been the one to pin Taka, but they wanted to make sure, again, that Yoshihashi is still, you know, him and Juice Robinson and Fale. I mean, this next tour coming up, I mean, it's a placeholder in some ways, but it's also one of those things where it's like, you know, if you wanted to shine, now's going to be a good time, and they, there's guys that they want to keep, you know, that second and third tier that they have, they, they want to make sure that those guys are taken care of too. So smart booking. Yeah. Yoshihashi and Juice Robinson are good examples of guys who they've elevated sort of from the prelim level to that third tier. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Uh, next up was the junior tag team title match. Uh, this was a placeholder defense for Taichi and Kanemaru. Uh, I think everyone expected them to knock off a uh, world-class tag team. They did. I'll say this about Taichi. Okay, he takes a lot of shit. He does have a superstar entrance. His entrance and his whole <laughs> vibe when he comes in the ring. Oh, he's so good at being slimy, isn't he? It screams superstar. But then the match starts. He's chasing people around with that stupid hammer. And every match is the same formula. All and fat I've, and shit. And I've just had it. And I'm, I'm like... <laughs> 
And I'm the world's biggest Yoshinobu Kanemaru fan. I mean, nobody else likes the guy. Even <laughs> even 10 years ago, nobody liked him. But I love the guy. I think he's solid as a rock as a worker. I love the uh, whatever he calls the DDT off the top. I'm terrible with the names of moves. Notoriously terrible. What does he call it? Deep Impact, maybe? Something oh, like something that. Something like that. I can't remember. Yeah, I, I, I'm terrible with movement. But but I've always loved the guy. I always thought he was a, a cool worker. I love that he's getting a shot in, in New Japan. But... Uh, Taichi just takes me right out of things. Look, they did the best that they can do with Jado with his bad back and Taichi doing his shtick. It was what it was. It sets up the rematch now with uh, Rapongi Vice. They made the save after the match. So uh, what do you have to say about this one as we move along through the prelims? Not a whole lot. You know, I didn't like Kanemaru 10 years ago. Kanemaru, Katara Suzuki, Ricky Marvin, a lot of those oh, Noah guys. I love guys. that. I love that 2006 uh, yeah, Noah yeah. era juniors. <laughs> That's my scene, man. I loved all those guys. I'm telling you, I'm the only guy in the world who likes Kanemaru. But I, uh, I will wear that badge. I had a long-running rivalry with Noah, and a lot of it probably had to do with the fact that I was so badly injured and wounded from New Japan. Just so many things from New Japan at that time, where I just and Noah was one of those promotions. I just I always saw the death of Noah coming, and I know they're on life support right now. But I mean, I like Kinemaru a lot more than ten years ago. I think I like Taichi more than some people, but it is what it is, and they are what they are. And that junior tag division, I don't know how you breathe some life into it. They've been able to do it with the, the main tag titles at least for. Uh, a moment in time right now with Rowan Hansen over there, but oh man, yeah, they they gotta. I hope somebody comes along with the junior heavyweight tag ranks and is able to blow some things away soon. I thought Rapongi Vice had a ton of momentum with the cool little story they told at Tokyo Dome, Rocky Romero's redemption story, and then they put the titles on Suzuki Gun. I expect Rapongi Vice to win these back um, on the next tour, but um, I don't know. It's it's you know, Gato and, and loves when they to do, bounce it's these like... titles around, and it is what it is. Well, when they win them, it's like, okay, well, now who do they face? Because that's it's just that's the problem. Yeah. I mean, as great as those matches were a couple of years ago, it was like the four corners of doom, you know, because they were the same teams over and yes. over. And now it's even in some ways, I think you have more teams and options. But the problem is we've seen every combination of everything where it's like, man, that's where Liger as a booker and as a talent scout used to be a lot more proactive. And I don't know. You know, who's exactly running the junior show? It, it, it doesn't make, look, they don't, look, here's the thing. I will You defend, gotta get in other guys. I am Gato's number one cheerleader and defender. I will defend the man, uh, as everyone who listens to this show knows, I will defend that man because I think he's a tremendous, I think he's a Hall of Fame level booker. I really do. I'm that high on him. The fact of the matter is he does not care about his junior tag teams. He doesn't even care about his heavyweight tag teams. And look, even Giant Baba didn't care about his juniors. Okay, it's like some these bookers. No booker well, no, is New flawless. Japan's Tokyo Dome show. Look at where new. Look at where junior heavyweights have been traditionally been positioned. Take Devitt out of that mix. It became a little bit different with him. But look at every time when it comes to the juniors on big New Japan shows. It is always a secondary thing. But the thing is, you can't really knock New Japan now for the junior singles title, because we'll get to that in a minute. But as far as the junior tag titles go, he just doesn't care. It's just a title to bounce around. It Listen, this title is barely ahead of the never six-man titles on, on you know in the chain. It doesn't matter. So, and that's bothersome because, again, I mean, with the way that things have changed, too, body-wise and what we accept. And in Japan, Kota Bushi helped to change that, too, what we accept body-wise. And, and Dragon Gate certainly helped that, becoming the power they did. They have got to get back out scouting again. There is no reason that the guy like Ada and T-Hawk and the, the, the kids over in, in well, DDT, Takeshita, and those types of guys, 
they're not producing them and they're not the worst the thing is too they're not raiding anybody else and i understand there's more kids have changed and people have changed they they don't mind being in other places they don't look at new japan as the holy grail but with everything at new japan's disposal they really should be more proactive going out and getting some guys like that and getting them early the crazy thing is i think they have the deepest collection of juniors like almost ever when you talk about ricochet and will osprey and hiromu and kushida and jushin liger and but but there's no focus on the tag teams. There's just none. And, and, and a lot and, of those guys aren't theirs. I mean, unfortunately, that's, that's true. That's true. There, a lot of them are, are gaijins or imports or guys that they're borrowing or guys that are on part-time contracts. That's a fair point. But it, it, it's it's he doesn't this he doesn't even pay close attention to his heavyweight tag teams. So he's certainly not going to look. It's just. I wish they took better care of the tag teams too. I think the heavyweight tag team titles can be a money drawing title. I think it can be you, you can use your heavyweight stars who aren't in the title mix the same way Baba did. Remember how all Japan, they use those heavyweight tag team titles as legitimate yeah. drawing titles. And New Japan could do that too, but that's just, look, that's just and, not Gato's and, and, philosophy. And that's my old mandum too, because, and I was always, and again, crumbing up, and I think there's, you know, people like the Brain Busters might make it in the, the Observer Hall of Fame next year. Do they necessarily deserve it by the grand scheme? No, but as far as influence goes, we came up at a time where tag teams were important. From the Attitude Era on, even though we've had some great ones and we've had some great runs and things like that, Bischoff actively tried to destroy tag teams. Vince McMahon has actively tried to destroy tag teams. He looks at tag teams as a way to get over one other guy. I, I get their philosophy. I just don't subscribe to it. But the reality of the situation is... When presented, you know, on a grand scheme, when wrestling is presented on a grand scheme, this is what people are growing up watching. So that love of tag teams really isn't there. And, and, and it's unfortunate, but it's like. And you know what's ironic? Gato and Jado are one of the most underrated tag teams of all time. You think they would, you think they would respect tag team wrestling more. This is one of my favorite tag teams ever, but look, they just, they, they don't emphasize it. They don't feel they're important. They were um, young boys when the junior horsemen. I mean, the, they had a junior horseman. People yeah. don't realize that with like Liger and Benoit. It's like that was a great, that was a thing. You know, yes. that was a thing. We had Bad Luck Fale and Kenny Omega. They defeat Tomohiro Ishii and Toru Yano. Uh, look, the takeaways from here: Fale has been booked like a beast ever since New Japan Cup, killing people with the grenade. Now we know why, because what we failed to mention was he attacked Okada and he will be the next challenger. And uh, this was also a way to give Kenny Omega a pinfall over the man who defeated him in New Japan Cup when yep. he by uh, delivering the one-winged angel to Tomohiro Ishii. They will have a singles match that hopefully we'll have time to get to here in a minute. But that was the purpose of this bout, and at this point I thought it was the best match on the show. Yeah, I mean, people were pissy about this result immediately afterwards. Like, All right, here's, From here's what angle? Well, here's this 50-50 booking, and oh, 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 come on! That, if well, you that, have the whole that thing opinion, was you're lost. Okay, well, I think I think it was a reactionary thing because once you take the step back and you see the semi-main event of the Dantaku show yes. is, you know, is going to be the rubber match, which essentially turns out to be the number one contenders match to lead into the Okada Bad Luck Folly match. Absolutely, it it, it makes sense now. Why they had to do a tag match here or why they went with this unit instead of giving Fale the win, I don't know, unless it was to basically kind of just give Omega the win over she and then lull everybody into a false sense of security. Maybe if they had Fale win, maybe somebody would have thought they would have predicted he came out there at the end. Yes, I don't know you, what it is. You just nailed it, and I'm going to tell you something else. 
If people think this is 50-50 booking, they don't know what 50-50 booking is. What this is is Omega getting the pinfall on Ishii. He's going to beat him again in a singles match. And as much as I like Tomohiro Ishii, that's who he is. Kenny Omega is the star. Kenny Omega is the man that they're going to be relying on to draw at Dominion against Kazuchika Okada. Tomohiro Ishii is the guy who puts Kenny Omega over. Okay, This is not 50-50 booking. This is Kenny Omega definitively beating Ishii twice because he's going to yeah, beat him I, in the I, singles match too. I hope people understand that once once the, the cards were announced. I, I hope that's the case. And, you know, Ishii, look, Tawei got a Lifetime Achievement Award. Nakanishi got a Lifetime Achievement Award. I believe, and I believe it can be done, and I know, like, well, Mike, how you're, you're, look, it's pro wrestling. It's still pro wrestling, even though it's New Japan Pro Wrestling. At some point, I'm fine with Ishii uh, getting the surprise win, getting the surprise pop and getting the IWGP title, I think that's going to come down the line before it, everything is said and done. I, I would be tough to believe that it's not going to happen, but it's just not now. Look, <laughs> look, look he's, he's, he's 41 years old. He's an upper mid-carder who puts people over. And that, yeah, there's I mean, nothing wrong with that. He has great matches, years, and I love the guy. Yeah, I mean, look, in two years, could somebody slip on a banana peel and he wins the title at Dominion and drops it at the end of the G1 or something? Sure, you can absolutely do that. But, like, I have again, no this problem, whole thing. I have no problem giving him a gold watch. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, like, but this whole thing, it's about Omega right now. Yes. And, again, people were so – it just – it shows you the kind of love she had where immediately afterwards it's like people – they just kind of either forgot or they didn't want to accept that this is Omega. This is an Omega setup situation to go forward. And it's got nothing really to do with Ishii here. But it shows you what kind of fan base he has where people are like, I really, really want to see him in that top mix. Tanahashi, Juice Robinson, Ricochet, and Ryusuke Taguchi. I'll give you one guess who they took on once again for the nine millionth time a <laughs> Los Ingobre Nobles Japan uh, four man unit. Look, these matches are always good, but I'm sick of them. I can't take it anymore. It's always uh, Tanahashi and friends versus uh, Lij and a six man or an eight man. I just, I, as good as these matches are, I'm just sick of them. I don't want to see them anymore. But I think Ricochet brought a different element to this. Uh, no disrespect to Big Mike Elgin, my pal Big Mike, but Ricochet brought a different element that Elgin usually brings to these matches. And of course, this had the shocking finish of Juice Robinson pinning Naito clean as a sheet. And I'll tell you, Juice Robinson's facial expressions and reactions to that win and the <laughs> and the baby faces dogpiling him like he just won the biggest match of his life, which he did, okay, was just a tremendous scene. And I think this is a nice little time filler for Naito to kill some time before G1 or whatever the hell as he will take on Juice Robinson and defend the Intercontinental title against him uh, coming up. Look, it was another great match. I thought Ricochet was the star of the match, and I thought it was a great moment for Juice Robinson. Yeah, I, I've been a fan of Juice Robinson kind of from the jump. I, I was willing to give him a shot. I, I liked his – as dumb as it was, there was a level of that character I thought he was able to pull off in NXT, the C.J. Parker or whatever. It's like I – this guy, it was like Ty Dillinger. It's like this is a great gimmick. You want to see this guy get punched in the face. <laughs> and him, it's like, you know, body-wise, I think people kind of blew him off. They didn't realize that, like, physically – Again, I mean, he had, to me, he had some advantages. I didn't know how it was going to work out, but he had some advantages going into that system. And he's really held up his end of the deal. Mentally, obviously, he was more than ready for it. And he's looked really good. Uh, Naito, my God, uh, lawn darting himself 
to sell that thing was it, it was <laughs> Brian said it was too comedic. He said the announcers thought it was too comedic. I thought it was great. I mean, you, you know, I, it was hard not to laugh the way Naito sold it, but it didn't take away from Juice Robinson's win at all. And it's again, it's a great like you said, it's a great placeholder for Naito. It gets Juice Robinson over. Juice Robinson is obviously not going to win that title, even if he does. But like, look, like he's probably not going to win the damn thing. But no, it doesn't matter. No, chan- because no, he has no chance of winning. Just like you're supposed to do in wrestling, there are times where you have a feud. Somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose. It. But if both guys gain from the damn thing, that's all you're looking for. And he doesn't have to take a big step. All Juice had to do was move forward. He has he has taken a, a, a to me a gigantic, big extended step, but a, a step forward it is, and that's all that really matters. We were all in favor of this move for him, gambling on himself, like Rich likes to call it quitting the biggest company in the world, starting from scratch in the dojo like a young boy, no ego. He's improved tremendously. He's gotten over with the fans. Last year, he had a sneaky good year. He has a million singles matches last year against Kenny Omega on on, on some of the Lionsgate shows. He had good uh, singles matches against uh, Nakajima, against Goshi Ozaki. He had a bunch of great singles matches last year that a lot of people who aren't hardcores didn't even see. This guy was, uh, was vastly improved. And it, and now he's getting over, and I have no problem with this little look. Again, this is not a guy who's going to ever headline the Tokyo Dome, but this is a nice little thing that he has going here, and he's probably going to end up back in WWE at some point, and and good for him. He he is a he's one of these guys just like Cody Rhodes and and just like Drew McIntyre who now just got back in. They gambled on themselves and they won. I mean, well, Drew got fired, but the other two guys did it on their own. Uh, <laughs> Let's get to the business end of the card here. We got the IWGP tag team titles. Uh, War Machine knocks off Tenkoji. Now, Tenkoji were sort of the surrogates here. If Tomoaki Hanma never gets uh, injured with the neck injury, this would have been Hanma and Makabe in this spot. But it sure is nice to have Tenkoji around where you can just slip them in there. They're both super over, especially Tenzan. They still over-deliver. I made this comment on Twitter. Tenkoji over-delivers so much in their matches that I have to stop saying that they're over-delivering. They're just good. I mean, it's not over-delivering if you're good every time. They go out there and they give you a a three-and-a-half-star match every fucking time. I mean, Yeah, it's like Nagata to me. I mean, like, these old heads, if their bodies are there, you remember, like, (laughs) just they're so goddamn good. They're just, they're so good. Kojima has always been good. He's always been underrated. And Tenzan and Kojima, you know, for, for the younger fans out there, I mean... Tenzan didn't get over the hump till 2005, and then it was immediately yeah. almost taken away from him. But as far as like being the guy, these guys were in the shadows of. Again, there were a lot of guys still lingering from the way past, like your Anokis and guys like that. But I mean, the Mudas and Hashimoto's and Chonos were so big; these guys were just always in their shadows. And then you had your Sasakis and, and much yeah. less guys in other companies. And then there were guys like Kojima and Tenzan. And these guys were great then. You just they didn't have a chance to bust out of the pack, and here they are still going. The lost generation is what they were sort of caught in the middle there. But yeah, and I don't know if you know this, but Kojima is my favorite wrestler. So I'm I'm agreeing with everything you're saying. I love Satoshi Kojima. And oh my god, MLW! I wanted said, to be a success for him. And he's a guy who said, "I'm getting the fuck out of here." When Nokia, he he took off with Muda and said, "Fuck this shit! I want goddamn right this." And he, Kassen, to, yep. and he went to all Japan and, and, and he put together arguably the best run of his career, you know, and, and, and good for him. He's, he's my, it's, yeah, it's why he's here today. Like he is. Yep. And yeah, there, there, we would always have the team with Tenzon too, but I mean him, his, 
Both of them, because both of them took shit, too, because they were broken down old men and they were old wrestling and times have changed and everything has changed. And goddamn, they stayed pro wrestling, especially Kojima and kept pro wrestling. You know, that that pro wrestle love from Muda, you know, pro wrestling Bree strongest, you know, still love your wrestling. You know, he's existed. Kojima, especially to this day, I don't think gets enough credit as far as being an international flag holder, being able to come out of that time basically unscathed and actually really established. He's not a Hall of Famer, but he has certainly planted his flag as far as he's somebody out there as Arn Anderson. He's somebody out there as Barry Windham, where, again, they may not be Hall of Famers for whatever reason that you want to come up with, but I bet you he's been a far bigger influence in a lot of people than, than people believe. And he's still awesome. And, and to me, he's the most underrated wrestler of his generation. Doesn't get the credit that he's due bell to bell. Yeah, uh, see, and I, I say the same about Nagata. Yeah, you and Alan, you and Alan Cunahan are the Nagata guys. I'm the way Kojima in the guy. tank. I'm the Kojima <laughs> guy. Okay, so then we had Hiroki Goto defending the Never title against Zack Saber Jr. I was convinced. I told people to go to your local bookmaker and bet on Zack Saber Jr. I hope nobody took my advice. I thought Zack was going to be doing his uh, belt collector gimmick here, um, but they're going towards Goto and Suzuki. I was loving this match, and I thought they were on their way to a classic, and then Suzuki Gun ran in and ruined everything for me. I don't know where you stand on this. I think Zack Sabre Jr. is a very weird fit for Suzuki Gun. I'm not comfortable with it. I think that the Suzuki Gun shenanigans have ruined both of his New Japan singles matches that were well on their way to being great matches, especially this one, and it pisses me off. Um, I'm a dork. I like my work rate. I like my matches. I like throwing out the stars, and I just the Suzuki Gun stuff when it comes to Zack Sabre Jr. and ruining these matches is driving me nuts. I hope that he turns on Suzuki at some point and feuds with him. Uh, that's more wishful thinking than something that I see happening. But uh, look, I thought this was on its way to being a great match, and I thought it all went out the window with the run-in. I thought they, honestly, when Suzuki, I mean, there was the one thing with Suzuki and Okada was, this is now the second time, and granted, the other time was a long time ago. It was during the second reign, but... This is the second time that Okada has beaten Suzuki in IWGP title matches. And it was like, well, okay. You know, I, I'm surprised they did it when they did it. And I'm surprised, you know, the, the match was great. But there was no doubt at the end of this thing that Minoru Suzuki lost. So what are you going to do with him? And, and I actually was thinking the same way you were, where Sabre was going to get this belt. He's already being a prick about having all these belts. He's going to win this one. He's going to be cocky. And at some point thumbs down boss of bosses is going to get him maybe they still go in that direction but like you say he is such a weird fit other than the fact that you know you know he can choke you out sort of thing so i guess he's a better fit in there than like an osprey would be or something but it is it is kind of a wonky thing a fit there and i i, I don't know i i just thought that would be the direction they would go but they're going to go with koto and suzuki which is fine but yeah i mean as far as him being there but it's not like they haven't done this in the past. It's not like you look at, you know, uh, what's my boy's name there? Uh, Ricky Morton's, uh, you know, Chase Owens in, in the Bullet Club and not scratch your head there, too. So these things are going to happen. But, you know, I, I don't know, you know, Sabre, I, I don't know what the direction they're going to have with him. I don't know how many more times he's going to be over there. But it's like I am not, as much as I like him, I'm not enthralled with his position right now in New Japan. I just got to see where it kind of shakes out and where he lands. I just think it's, it's, I think his position is awkward. I mean, supposedly this is going to be his regular 
working spot. Although this felt like a blow off. It really did. I mean, Goto ran off all of his boys and then beat him clean 30 seconds later. It was very strange. Yeah. Everything, yeah, it, everything about it to me is strange and I'm just not feeling it. Uh, you know, I, it's, and, and, and it's probably, it's almost like Saber, give Saber a partner. And because if it's going to be like this, then put him in a tag team situation. I don't know. Uh, yeah. It's, and I have all the faith in the world in him. And, and, and again, it's not against Saber. It's just, when you yeah, when you look at the landscape, I have a hard problem dropping them in. Yeah, it, it it it's very awkward. But Goto Suzuki should be a hell of a feud. So I have no problem with the direction they're going. Here's the thing: you didn't need to ruin the match. If Goto was going to beat uh, Zach clean like he did, then why can't he beat him clean and then you build to the Suzuki match with a post-match beatdown? You know, that, you, you, you don't have to muddle up the match to tell the same story. No, that's a, and that's a great point. And this is where, again, Jado or Gato has lost the plot is referee bumps and outside interference. And they they got lucky with Bullet Club. They have been consistently lucky that nobody has turned on it and that the personalities in there and that the angles that have been associated have been so strong because as soon as that starts to drop off and as soon as people start to turn on it, the amount of referee interference, the amount of run-ins, shit like that, all up and down your card is going to then really become a a lot of salt in the wound. And the less you do of it now, the more you get yourself out of it, the better. And they don't seem to do that. And it does ruin matches, and it does take you a lot out of things. I don't mind stupid referee stuff. I don't mind stupid spots. I love Yano, all that sort of stuff. And you're going to – look, it is pro wrestling. But my God, I mean, you have really great referees that could do more of a Tommy Young type of approach as far as interplay goes. Do that instead of just the brutal pull the referee out or smack the referee or whatever it is that you're doing. God damn it. Get more creative with it. Yeah. Uh, t- to be fair, they sort of have gotten a- when Suzuki Gun came back, they sort of have gotten away with it with gotten away from it with bullet club so you're sort of not getting it from all of the heel groups at once but the suzuki gun matches all of them have shenanigans i mean they don't all look and it's it, it's gonna it, like anything else in wrestling you know less is more the less they do that with suzuki gun the more impact it'll have if they want to do it in a big spot like this but yeah look i still gave the match four stars because i loved it up until that point this thing was on its way to being one of my favorite matches of the year because you had all that great arm work by saber goto finally hits the the ushi garoshi transition spot and I'm, I'm i'm ready for this hot closing stretch here comes el desperado and i just want to throw something through my tv <laughs> so so we've got Hiromu Takahashi defeating Kushida in 1 minute and 56 seconds. Loved it. Me Loved too. It. Oh man, I was hoping that you didn't like it so we could have some banter. But I I listen, I fucking love this. Mike, let me make my points against Hiromu and then I'll let you just run wild. Do you realize that this is his third straight title uh junior title match that has semi main evented a show? You mentioned earlier in the show how juniors have always been positioned in this company. And I sort of planted a seed that, okay, maybe the tag titles, but they're doing some different things now with that singles title. I think Kushida elevated that title to a degree last year. Remember, Kushida headlined a show with Bushi last year. It was a smaller building. I think it was Aichi, if I'm not mistaken. It was that small 3,000-seat building, but it was still a main event for a junior title match between with Kushida and Bushi. So he elevated it to a degree, uh, and the matches with Osprey, of course. But now this Hiromu, 
I think that they think that he's a a top-line, main-level star, junior or otherwise. I think they know what they have with him. I think they believe in him. I don't think it's an accident that he's being booked in semi-main events. That's a big deal. I, I know you know that's a big deal, but for the listeners, that is a big deal that this man is constantly being booked in semi-main events, and it's an even bigger deal that he squashed Kushida, the ace of the well, the old ace of this division, uh, in this match. That is such a definitive stamp of approval for Hiromu Takahashi, Mike. I think that they think that this guy is a top-line player, main event future star. Yeah. He, he's Naito. He's uh, whoever. Anybody that they've – there have been guys in the past, your Wataro Inouye's. Like there, there are lots of guys oh, come God. in as junior heavyweights, and they look at them and go – they already see 10 years down the line. They already see putting on the weight. They already see how they're going to develop and whether they work out or not. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they've made the right moves at the right time. Sometimes they haven't. But – at least you, you kind of know from Jump Street guys that they have their eyes on. Hiromu Takahashi, even if there weren't all these natural things kind of going into it, once he became Kamiatachi, you knew what you had. And you know as long as this guy's body can hold it together, you have a future star because that's the type of charisma. That's heavyweight charisma, brother. <laughs> you, you can't hold that kind of guy down no matter what his size is. So you know it's going to be there. And is this the 90s all over again? Nope, it's impossible. You can't get those times back. But if you if you touch this thing just right, you got a, you got a load of, you know, we, we talked about the, the malaise of the junior heavyweight tag ranks. But from that, what you get is you get a lot of still talent that's experienced. Your Bushis, Desperados, Taichi, Taka, Kanemaru. You have those guys. You have your, your guys from the outside coming in, your Ricochets, your Ospreys, your Dragon Lees. You have a more athletic base than, than you ever have before of talented foreigners to come in, at least from a, in a long time. And then on top of that, you got Kushida and you got Takahashi right there. And you got guys who are right now leading your junior heavyweights that one day will probably also right in the mix alongside your other heavyweights. So this is a very good time right now for, for New Japan's junior heavyweight division, I think. If anybody wants to, to tell the story of today, you have to stretch back to Devitt, and I think so much credit goes to Devitt. I'll circle back around to something I said about Choshu. When things fell apart for New Japan, one thing they needed to do was to close ranks. They didn't have foreigners. The only foreigner that they really focused on at all, the only foreigner that was living in the dojo, was Fergal Devitt. And Devitt, you know, that was supposed to be at some point, he's gonna, the team's going to split, he's going to lose uh, Apollo Gogo is going to split and, and Taguchi's going to win. And Taguchi was a guy that they had eyes on for a, a while. And Taguchi's going to be that guy. And the fans never let that happen. They never let that split come. And instead, Devin got bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the time the split came, it was way too late for Taguchi. And frankly, he had changed anyway. His influence wasn't there. His, his scope, his, his drive wasn't there. But Devitt's was. And Devitt not only, you know, was a, a boon for any foreigner again in getting reaffirming faith, he was the first foreigner superstar, megastar in a long time, which opened the door for Styles. It opened the door for Omega. And it opened the door for junior heavyweights to appear almost on a level of the heavyweights to the point where Devitt exploded out of there and became a heavyweight superstar. Never had the title. Always ended up coming up, you know, a touch short, but it didn't matter. But it you was know the what? Fact but, that, but you know what? I think he would have 
AJ Styles oh, sure AJ Styles slid into the role that Devitt would have occupied. Oh yeah, absolutely. Of course that ended up being the case, but it's like, you know, he he didn't get it, but the fact was that door was then open. So a lot of when we talk about Styles and Omega today, we talk about the American expansion and we talk about junior heavyweights and how they are viewed in some ways now as far as being able to get over because again, you know, in a way wasn't that guy. They've they've tried with other guys in the past. Minoru Tanaka, as much as I loved him, you know, he couldn't make that move over. He couldn't make that jump. Liger, they never really he never had to, but he was never able to make the jump. And Kushida and Takahashi, right now you have two guys that can do it on top of your ricochets and ospreys and 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 and, and sabers where if they but happen they, to stay they're just they're, pass, they're just passing through though oh true but it, let, let's just say they happen to stay we're yeah. going to make new japan our home base like you have like a bunch of guys that in this day and age they all could be heavyweight champions of the world if time that's what time ends up you know dictating to them so will, times, will, listen, times are good will osprey is one of the biggest stars in the world and they do nothing with him i mean it's just amazing i mean that's one of the biggest critiques i have right now and you know even on this don taku tour he's buried in prelim six-man tags which is very frustrating to me but uh, i i think that they're saving uh i think osprey hiromu is going to be the big feud in the second half of the year i really do um i think uh there's a good chance osprey wins back-to-back best of the super juniors and uh and has an epic feud with takahashi but but i guess we'll see but unless, i think you know again unless this thing is to make ricochets win that much bigger so you can do ricochet and osprey again that's possible i mean they've got to find a way to do ricochet and osprey again they'd be nuts not to i mean that you know i mean but yeah that's what i said man these juniors this is it's so top heavy and and it also has depth i mean i mean they are just loaded with charismatic superstar juniors. It really is amazing. But it Tom- is, and I'll just the only thing I'll add to it is just the the only and just to, to to play devil's advocate, when you start putting the asterisks on Taka, Kanamaru, Ricochet, Osprey, Dragon Lee, you know, none of these guys are theirs. And, and there's right. the again, there's the only concern there of like, you know, I, I I'm sorry, and this is not insulting any other group. I if I, I'm sorry I throw they have enough money and I know they want to develop things. You've got to bring in some guys. I at least I would feel better about it if they. It's going to be let's just say T Hawk. Let's just say him. Get him in, and you've got to me. You've got to either if you're not developing them, you better steal them. The, the and, rate, and see, them. here's the thing: the rating thing. That's a three hour show on its own. I mean, because we can really get in depth on that. I don't. I'm not really in favor of that, to be honest. Um, but, but I do think it's coming down the pike because I think WWE is changing everything. And I think you're going to have to raid to survive. But it's like, it's like, look, it's like when Liger would go on these excursions and bring back yes. like Tiger Mask from Mikonosha, like that, that type of thing. It doesn't even have to be like a raid per se, but like to me, you have got to go back and get some of these guys. Let a DDT train them, let a, a Dragon Gate train them. I know it's hard to get guys because loyalty is such a big deal. It is a huge deal. But but man, money also talks. And, I, listen, and, I think and the future, personal relationships work. I think the future is that because of the waves WWE is making everywhere, when they eventually come to Japan, the entire landscape is going to change, and it's going to be about survival. And I do think you'll see New Japan be aggressive about it, and that's going to piss a lot of people off. Mike, we've got about five minutes, so I want to roll through these Dantaku cards quickly. They've split up the big matches among three shows. The big show, the main, the primary wrestling Dantaku show is May 3rd. That's the Okada Bad Luck Fale title match. Underneath that is Ishii Omega 
and the I oh man, I'm so frustrated with these three-way tag team title matches. I don't know why they shoehorned Gorillas of Destiny in there, but it's War Machine, Tenkoji, uh, Tenkozi, and uh, Gorillas of Destiny. I hate the three ways. And there's also <laughs> a never open weight six man rematch where uh, Lij will get their rematch against Taguchi Japan. Uh, I think we both agree, or maybe we don't. I I think this leads to Okada Omega at Dominion. What say you? Quickly, as we have about five minutes left. Yeah, I I think that's very much the case too. And, and I don't know if you have Omega win it there. I can see them doing that. I don't think you know. There's a lot of people, and I understand this that you would want Omega as your champion leading into North America. To me, I would still figure out a way where. Okada is your champion. Omega is going to get all the attention anyway because he speaks English and he can come over and speak Japanese and, and do the reverse gimmick here if he wants to, uh, to, to, to be annoying to the media or if you want to play that role a little bit too. Uh, you, you can go ahead and do that. But I still think later on is if you're going to, uh, to me, the, I don't know, the dome, I don't know what it is, but I, I, the thought of Kenny Omega defeating Okada now. I get it in that what else can Okada do right now? And, and it would be a good time for Omega. I just don't think it necessarily has to be done. But both of those guys are, are obviously going to win on, on May 3rd because I can't see them setting it. I mean, what are they going to do, Fale and Ishii? That's you know, it's going to be Okada yeah. and Omega. So That's like... the match you need to fill Dominion. So that's what they're doing. <laughs> and, I do, yeah. and I'll disagree. I think Omega has a very good chance to win that. But uh, but we'll see. I want to talk about this wrestling Toyo. Okay, I'm gonna destroy this. Uh, Toyo Nokuni wrestling Toyo Nokuni 2017 in Bipu, Japan. That's the show headlined by Naito and Juice Robinson. Now, because Juice isn't the strongest challenger, they've loaded the, that uh, undercard up. That's where they're gonna do Tanahashi versus Evil, and that's where they're gonna do Hiromu versus Ricochet. So they gave Naito the stronger support, even though he's in the smaller building, because I don't think that they're uh, confident that Juice can fill a building as a challenger. I think that's smart. I think it was the right thing to do. Obviously, Okada and Omega are going to be fine. They'll fill the uh, building in Fukuoka. So they gave Naito the stronger support.